If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello and welcome to another episode of Box Trek. I am your host, Matt Brady, joined once again by Adam. I gotta say, man, this list, uh, normally you and I talk for sometimes even up to an hour before we even hit record. But today, <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> today is a little different because we started talking because normally we, Adam and I will sort of, you know, we're sort of like, oh, yeah, well, here's some, here's like kind of some of the stuff I have. Here's kind of the stuff you have. But today's episode is just going to be totally different, and I'm it's by far, I think, one of the ones I'm most excited for, because we are doing our top 10 favorite PlayStation 1 games. And I think, you know, you actually, you when you, you texted me, because um, we've been had this plan for about two weeks, uh, you texted me, I think it was like sometime last, last weekend, and you said, it's going to be more so kind of like my PlayStation journey, and I think that sort of inspired me also to be like which games did I really play the most Ooh, like rad. like as oh, like as a kid I mean there's definitely I definitely have one game on my list that I think I sort of you know over time since the PlayStation has you know come out and I you know played was was going back and playing some games on the PS2 um but like I didn't really get that game until later but the majority of it is probably kind of what I had when I was a kid, kind of growing up, you know, like the PlayStation 1, really I got into it, you know, I was like, I had to play like 9 or 10 or so, is probably when I was really, like, I'd say like 97, 98. Um, and then a lot of a lot of games that were came out on the PlayStation 1, I had on the Dreamcast. So it's going to be kind of an interesting list. I think you and I both have an honorable mentions that's about 20 uh games each we probably we can't dive in we can't <laughs> certainly dive into each and every one of those but we'll certainly do our best but um that's sort of just i wanted to get that intro in there because i think today's today's episode I'm, I'm very excited so how are you how are you doing man how how is it how have you been how's it going man i'm great and when you pitched this idea to me i was ecstatic because i mean i don't know if i said this in previous episodes when you and i do this show but i mean the PS1 is my favorite system of all time. Like, no contest. And uh, it was... You know, like, a little backstory here. It's like, this was my first real uh, system. I... I so And I got it... My parents got my brothers and I our first PS1 uh, in 1998. And it was everything to us. It was like a religion to us. Um... Before that, we had a Sega Genesis, but it wasn't, like, really ours. 
um, we had a babysitter, and it was his. And he was a, a bit older than us, and he was just not really using it. So he was like, hey, you guys could just hold on to it. And then when we got our PlayStation, we were like, oh, well, you could have it back because we're really going to be playing this now. You know, because at that point, too, it, it's the Genesis. So at that point, they were making games for the Sega Saturn, really. You know, so right. that is kind of decommissioned. Um, uh, you know, without getting too ahead of myself, but, you know, playing games like uh, Twisted Metal, Small Soldiers, Rogue Trip, Warhawk, uh, Tomb Raider, to name a few. You know, we were... The library... We didn't have a lot of games. We had, like, oh, like a little over a dozen before, like, our PS1, like, crapped out on us because it was before the Slim model came out. And, you know, those bigger, brickier models were known to have um, hardware issues from time to time. But... Uh, but our little library was like holier uh, than anything in our minds. And I was um, lucky enough to, as I got older, I was like, I'm going to rebuild this thing. And I like went down the list in my head and I was like, okay, we had this game. We had that game and blah, blah, blah. And eventually I, I rebuilt that uh, and then some. And it's it's just um, it's a treat for me to be like, you know, these games on my list are games I have and I still really get the same sense of satisfaction when I I go back and play them. So when you were like top 10 PS1, I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. I'm ready. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, I'm looking at my honorable mentions list here, and I'm even trying to sort of piece it together in ways that that makes sense. Because um, I literally have, I've got like a, I don't know, like 20 games uh, in my <laughs> in my in my honorable mention as as I go through here. And I, I'm pretty sure you and I will have some overlap, certainly on our lists. I I, I know we I think we both know there's one game. Uh, on there that's that's probably going to appear on both um anybody who's listened to the podcast for you know a long time um you know with obviously i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything but I, I i'm pretty sure i can pick out a game or three that might be on uh adam adam's adam's list uh you know maybe some maybe some zombies uh you know, I'm, yeah, I'm sure yeah. there might be, you know, I actually, I think this is fun. We should get a real we, sense we, of direction. Here. Right. We should, we should do that without, without sort of giving it away. Is there any game that you can think uh, that might be, might be on mine, but I, with yours, I'm sure we have some Capcom survival horrors on there. Oh, wow. Without a doubt, uh, yeah, man. I mean, of course, of course. I mean, what, I mean, what would this list be without them? Right. I mean, I, 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 I if it wasn't those, I could think of another game that's in uh, my honorable mentions, at least. Uh, so I'll still count that as overlap because, you know, honorable mentions, they're still favorites. It's like, oh, my God. It's like I remade my list three times. Mm -hmm. And the third time was when I was really like, you know what? I'm going to stick to what was more true to me with my original experience with the PS1. You know, and um, oh man, and still while doing that, that was still such 
a challenge for me. I'm really, really bad with lists. I love lists. I love making lists. But at the same time, I'm like, I just want everything to be on there. And you have to think about the PlayStation's library as well. When you think about it, for the U.S. region, PAL territories, and Japan, they're like a few thousand games. Oh, my God. The PlayStation 1's library is, is outrageous. We have to take into account there were a lot of budget titles and stuff like that. And again, like I said, a lot of international releases that, uh, you know, like that we didn't get, like in the PAL region and stuff like that. But um, so that alone, it's just like, how do you scratch the surface of this? And I was just like, man, I just really got to stick to what I know. I'm not going to put something on here to to try to sound uh, cool or, or whatever. It's like. It, it, it's no, you know, I think I've got some uh, hidden gems on here along, especially in my uh, honorable mentions as well, too. But um, I, 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 I'm happy with my list, though, overall with the final product here. I think it's a good list and uh, I'm excited to, to see what you got. And, do you have? Uh, can you have, do you have any yeah. predictions without without sort of giving anything away of what might be on my list? Because I made I made a guess on yours. I, I'm, but I, so I think I think it'd be fun. So I'll say it, but you know, um, we'll get into it on our lists whenever uh, we get into it. If you want to confirm it when I say it, um, you know. So this is a, a minor spoiler alert: two titles I could think of off the bat. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say it: uh, Resident Evil Two and uh, Dino Crisis, maybe, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Maybe close to something close along those lines, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking with overlap. Um, if not those, I'll jump into uh, one of my honorable mentions list, and that's maybe Final Fantasy VII, which not a Capcom game, but it's another game that uh, crossed my mind. Right, of course. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, let's let's dive in here. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna say some of my honorable mentions here because I've got literally a list of around twenty. So. I think first and foremost, uh, I'll say before I start getting in, in into before we dive into our main list, as you said, look, there's like a thousand games on the PlayStation. And some of the games actually that I thought when I think about like, oh, just some of the best games ever and some of the games that came out, I was like, you know, actually, I didn't play that on the PlayStation. I played that on the Dreamcast. So a game that didn't appear on my list uh, was like Tony Hawk 2. Because mm. I played Tony Hawk two more on the Dreamcast, and then there were games. Gotcha. Then there were games that I played more so on the Nintendo sixty four, uh, rather than playing. Because you know a lot of the games came out on multiple systems, or or oh sure definitely or, or whatever. So there's definitely some games, but um, I'm just gonna run through just just some of the some of these games, and most of these I did actually play when I was a kid, whether it was like at a friend's house or I owned it or like my brother had it. Or we rented it or something. And most of these, I re- there's really only about one game on my sort of honorable mentions here that I actually played um, like later, like much later, like a few years ago and really have come and really have come to love uh, that game. And so if we have any sort of interesting, cool stories, you know, I think we can kind of si- dive into uh, just maybe just briefly, yeah, sure. briefly here. OK, so my honorable mentions. So I have Road Rash 3D, which was actually the, the game I got with my PlayStation. Uh, nice and i loved road rash 3 that game was so weird it had like kid rock on on the soundtrack and i think Soundgarden. Kid rock was there definitely um, yeah and so it was definitely sort of a cool thing test drive 6 which actually isn't really it's like the worst of the test drive games my brother had it my one of my older brothers had it and we played it a lot 
Driver two, uh, and oh yeah, and That's driver, a good choice. uh, you know, driver two was just my god. It was like it was like playing Grand Theft Auto three before Grand Theft Auto three. Like the ability, right. like the difference between driver one and driver two, like being able to get out of your car and go steal another car was like mind boggling. I know you could do that in Grand Theft Auto. Um, like the original Grand Theft Autos, but that was more an overhead view. It wasn't in this right. sort of like 3D um, thing. Uh, Hot Wheels Turbo Racing. I actually played it a lot with my cousin. Had had Metallica's Fuel in the soundtrack, which is really like the Did only, it really? Yeah, oh, my God. Which is really the only <laughs> selling point. Um, I was actually just playing it like minutes before we started here. I was kind of running through some emulators, uh, emulator and ROMs trying to play it. And my God, it has not aged well. Uh, I'll say that. Some um, games have it, unfortunately. Yeah, Two <laughs> Extreme was a game that I got early in the in the PlayStation's life. It's almost like a like the old school Road Rash games, but you're on bikes and uh, snowboarding and stuff like that, and you can kind of like hit people. Yes. It's kind of like Skitchin. We've talked about this because yeah. like Skitchin Aren't there bicycles on the too. Yeah, Skitchin I, is yeah. a game was a game for the Genesis that was developed by EA, the same team that did Road Rash, and it plays just like it. That sort of behind the back thing, and that's totally what Two Extreme is. Um, this would be my number 11 if I had to, if I had to, this one was like, it was battling into the top 10 and that's bloody roar. My God, the amount of hours I put into that. Um, some wrestling games, the WWF attitude, WCW mayhem and WCW nitro. Not that either, not that nitro is a good game. Uh, it does have these sort of hilarious wrestler taunts, which is by far the coolest, uh, part of it. Um, and I actually was so excited to get it because, you know, this is back before really your search and games on the Internet. But, um, you know, I was just so excited for this WCW game and I played a demo of it. And I thought it was like, oh, it was pretty cool. And so um, my mom got it for me for one of my birthdays. Um, little did I know, you know, that game was awful. Uh, anywho, uh, you know, I, I should have gotten N64 <laughs> and like WrestleMania 2000 and <laughs> your revenge and stuff like that. But yeah, seriously, um, Marvel superheroes I've talked about uh, before. 007, oh, yeah. 007 Tomorrow Never Dies, which is sort of a third person James Bond game. And it's sort of it's sort of like it, it was good for the time. It obviously wasn't, you know, it it obviously was not Goldeneye, but I still think it was kind of cool. Uh, Gran Turismo. The original Grand Grand oh, Gran Turismo that was a real game that was, changer for the PlayStation. Yeah, re- very close to making my list. Uh, Fighting Force that was yeah, that's fight- on my honorable mentions. Yeah, definitely. Fighting Force, Final Fantasy Tactics, Star Wars Episode One Jedi Power Battles. Um, uh, such a good choice. Oh, WWF yeah. in your house, which is pretty awful, but we had it and we played the heck out of it. Uh, Jet Moto that was another one pretty yeah. pretty close. Uh, Nightmare Creatures, uh, sort of a fun kind of evil dark. Um, I remember that action, game, but I never played kinda, it. Kind of beat em up hack and slash game. There's a sequel for it as well. Bravo Air Race, uh, this sort of like air, uh, air, uh, airplane racing game. Spider Man game. It was on like N64. Oh, yes. That game was like amazing. That that game was phenomenal when it came out. Now, obviously, there's been better Spider Man games, but I would. That's still a top ten Spider Man game easily. It's a it's amazing. Absolutely. A classic. Classic. Nuclear Strike. Uh, oh yeah. For, like the Jungle Strike series. Um, I have two light gun games here, Area 51 and Time Crisis. Remember Time, Time Crisis, Cri- yes. Uh, I don't know Area 51, though. Oh, Area 51 is pretty cool. It's another one that's in arcades, um, and you're basically just killing – you're basically you know, just killing all these aliens uh, and stuff like that. But um, one of the cool things about it was you're, like, in the military, and so after every level, you, like, would progress up in ranks. 
So it wasn't just a high score. It'd be like, okay, you started as a private, and then like it's just it's just a score keeper. But it was always like really cool to see how high because you we could get it because you're playing with a friend. Because then you end up as like lieutenant or you know whatever sergeant grand whatever. Um, X Men. I have X Men Mutant Academy and its sequel, Intelligent Cube, Parappa the Rappa. Oh yeah. Just you know some of these games, Parasite Eve. I mean, talk about. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a very uh, Parasite Eve was like. With the hype of survival horror that was going on at the time, you know, like, you know, you had Resident Evil and uh, Silent Hill, but like Square, well, I almost said Square Enix, but at the time, Square, Square Soft, Soft, before it was Square Enix, they were like, well, we wanted on this action, but we're going to take a bit of a different route. And they executed it nicely, mm-hmm. gotta say. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I mean, yeah, I loved it. Um, Parasite Eve, God, it's such a great game. Tra- good luck finding a, uh, a copy in the wild or on eBay uh, these days. God, it's expensive. Uh, and it's sequel, Parasite Eve 2. Got a little more sort of action-y, um, but great. And then uh, Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, that one, you know, was one I didn't. I just didn't play as much as I did as I did two other ones. Uh, you know, two other RPGs, which will uh, appear on my list. Um, and then I have the game that I think. So a lot of those were more so when I was a kid. And then the game that I've really come to appreciate over time, um, much later. Uh, I actually picked it up on PlayStation Three, like because they sell PS One games there. And I picked it up a few right, years ago. It was on yeah. sale for like a dollar or something was wild arms uh rpg and my god man just listen to the just listen to the opening song and it's just glorious um and so yeah sort of a fun fun thing there so yeah i mean i'm sure there's probably more you know like just off the top of my head i'm looking at this games that didn't record like cool borders and you know i'm sure i'm I'm sure i'm sure there's more i could really think of I, i remember playing some rugrats like game where you golf and i remember playing like the heck out of that but um, that's just kind of what's on my mind, you know, as I was kind of putting this together. So, uh, Adam, what about, what about you, man? What are, what are just some honorable mentions here? Well, for before you? I get into mine, I gotta say, man, you have very respectful list, man. That is, that is a good honorable mentions. And, and, and again, it's like, it's a very subjective thing to get into. Cause again, like there's just so many titles and everyone's experience is different. You know, it, it's kind of just like, where do you begin to. Uh, scratch the surface and it, and it's kind of just like there were so many games where it's like we know so many where it's like i've i've mentioned some of these games that are on my list and on my honorable mentions to people and they're like what the hell game was that you know so it's kind of crazy what people remember and don't at, right. at the same time but um my honorable mentions okay let's go with um We'll start with Small Soldiers, oh, which yeah. was uh, my first game for the PlayStation, and we've talked about this game uh, before uh, on this show. But, you know, it's like I love Small Soldiers. It played really, really well. Mediocre well, – well, I shouldn't even say mediocre ending. Awful ending, but um, it was a very fun game to play, and I liked the spin on it that um, it took basically uh, – the lore of the movie, like where, like you know, where the Gorgonites came from, and you know, the Commandos trying to wipe them out, and it basically made it real. So I liked that. I thought it was cool, and you know, there were other Gorgonites in the game that were figures, but not the the figure line for that um, movie were. They were awesome. I loved those figures. I had a lot of them as a kid, and um, a lot of those figures that weren't in the movie were in the game, which was also uh, kind of cool to see. Um, I, I I loved it. It was uh, I think it was um, 
Was it Electronic Arts? I think that made it. That, I know DreamWorks that Interactive seems, had that, a... seems, that seems correctly. That seems correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have it. I should just pick up the friggin' uh, case and look at it. But uh, moving on, uh, Apocalypse, which most people know famously as the uh, Bruce Willis game. Third-person shooter, you know, you're just trying to stop the end of the world from happening. Uh, scientist creates his own four horsemen of the apocalypse. And you just got Bruce Willis running through with like yeah. such foul language. This is the first rated M game I uh, ever owned, actually. Uh, Metal real, Gear Solid, real, of course. Real quick here. Um, yeah. Okay, so just because I wanted to, just because I, I knew there was something special, I was like, I was like, I remember there being something special about the Small Soldiers game that we talked about. Um, so interesting here uh, is that the soundtrack for the game, so was actually composed by the guy who did the, the guy who did the music for the movie, right? Like he actually went and did like also designed it specifically for the game, which is Michael uh, Gaiacchino, right? Um, yeah, you might know him for some of the uh, movies that he's done, which include Star Wars, Rogue One, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man Homecoming. So, I mean, like, no big deal or anything. But That explains a lot about how atmospheric the soundtrack was to that game. Right. Star Trek. He did, the, he did the Star, he did the Star Trek movies, the new ones that I have, like, Bray Up. Clo I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, certainly no slouch when it comes to, uh, when it, when it comes to, uh, you know, composing music. Oh, yeah. There you go. Right there. Uh, Metal Gear Solid, because, I mean, come on, what's right. more epic than, uh, you know, batshit insane storyline that those games give. Uh, Crash Team Racing, you know, that was the closest we got to Mario Kart 64 on uh, the PS1. I love the Crash Bandicoot series. So to have a racing game that could match the you know, the fun factor that Mario Kart 64 gave, that was a real winner uh, for me. Uh, the original Twisted Metal, loved the original Twisted Metal. Fighting Force, as we said earlier, I just beat fighting force actually i did it with uh smasher and nice. um i love the you know you could take different routes as you go through and every character has their pros and cons i was starting to do another playthrough as uh helena mm -hmm. so that's been fun uh ninja shadow of darkness yes, uh, about that which was before. another idios game like how they made fighting force love that real hidden gem spiral two ripto's rage um this would serve, in my opinion, as uh, the forerunner of what was to come with the growth of the Spyro series into Skylanders, because now we were starting to get different characters that would carry on into those future games, basically. Like uh, like Hunter. Like uh, I never played the Skylanders games and stuff like that, but I do know Hunter was a character that really stuck around and i thought holy crap who would have thought uh duke nukem time to kill i know a lot of more duke nukem like the hardcore duke nukem fans like the first person uh styled games but i love time to kill such fun levels um the ball busting uh voice acting is just so good the intro the, the intro song thing i hate by stabbing westward this was like i was eight years old and i was starting to discover you know, alternative music and everything. So that was like, I kind of owe it to Duke Nukem in a sense. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I mean, oh my God, what was better than the uh, 
such an eclectic soundtrack of oh, uh, yeah. of hardcore punk, ska, metal, hip hop. Like it was so so good. Uh, the original Resident Evil. I mean, what's better than the classic tale of the haunted house with zombies in it, right? Uh, uh, my next two games. Um, now, Final Fantasy VII's on this for my honorable mentions. Fun fact about Final Fantasy VII. I played it around... I started playing it around when 9 came out, and I was like 12. I hated Final Fantasy VII. I really did. I hated it. I couldn't stand it. And I just didn't get it. I would go back and replay Final Fantasy VII when Final Fantasy XV came out. And I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my god, this is why everyone, like, is down on their knees for this game. Oh my god, the twists and turns this took, I wish I gave it more of a chance when I was younger. I wish I was more patient with it. Oh my god, I mean, of course it hasn't aged well, as we all know, but, oh my god, the big twist with Cloud. Right. What a mindfuck, man, and... Another game that I did not play till I was older. I was never the biggest Mega Man fan. But I went back and played Mega Man Legends. And oh, it was so charming. It is so charming. I love the adventure style. You have an overworld you could run around and you can upgrade Mega Man 2 with different like hand cannon weapons and stuff like that and everything. I... I love the voice acting. I I just love the way the 3D animations look. There's just something so charming uh, about it. Um, so I um, I had a friend that was really into it. He had the N64 version, so it was just Mega Man 64. And he hyped it up so much for me, and I just always enjoyed hearing him talk about it. And I just never had a chance to play it back then. So playing that was a real uh, treat for me. Another game on my honorable mentions, uh, you mentioned it before, the Rugrats game. Because sure enough, Matt, yeah, there what there is a part in that where you're playing golf. It's the That's whole, what I uh, remember about it, specifically. Yeah, it's because the... the overworld is the house. It's Tommy Pickle's house. Right. And basically, it's like you interact with certain items in the house that make you kind of, in a sense, re- it recreates a, like an episode, in a sense. Like... um. Like the golf is um ice cream mountain, you know when they go mini golfing and stuff like that, or um you have Mister Friend or Incident on Aisle Seven. It's just it's a very charming game, you know. Full, and um, I think the idea of it was you're trying to put together a uh, a reptar puzzle. So when you beat the levels and get all the puzzle pieces at the end, you're reptar and you just destroy a city. Uh, basically, it's uh it's uh pretty fun. Um. Rogue Trip, uh, another car combat game, much in the likes of Twisted Metal. Uh, it was made by the same guys as Twisted Metal, actually. Uh, the developers of Single Track. So that's the first two uh, Twisted Metals. Um, and it's it's fun in a sense where uh, you have to pick up uh, tourists and they give you like money and stuff like that, too. It, it's just a... I think it's a bit more... Uh, it's got a bit more humor to it than the uh, the original uh, Twisted Metals, but uh, I loved it all the same. But that's pretty much my uh, um, my honorable mentions for the uh, the PlayStation, which that list was just as hard to make as my top ten. 
So hey, oh, I know. So, yeah. There's so there's yeah. There's there's just so many. There's just so many great games, um, to get into. But we're well, let's let's just I we'll go ahead and we'll dive. We'll start diving into our top ten here because there's so much we're gonna we're gonna talk about. So if you had to pick one, what what would you say out of your list do you think was gonna be your number eleven? Because for me, if you had to, for me, it would have been Bloody Roar. That was the one that was very, so close, just to edging in. Man, that's that's a that's a tough one too to think about it uh, on the spot. If I had to put one, maybe um maybe Tekken three. Oh yeah, Tekken which 3. I guess should have been on my honorable mentions list as well. But if I had to put a number eleven on my top ten, it'd probably be Tekken three. I'm not I'm not great at fighting games, as I mentioned in the last episode with the. With the uh, Switch games, you know, because I love Smash Bros, but um, there was just something about Tekken 3 and unlocking all the characters and stuff like that. Yeah, it, Tekken, it was just I mean, a lot of fun and for And Tekken me. 3 is widely considered to be one of, like, the best-looking PlayStation 1 games. And it's got the Tekken Force mode, the uh, beat-em-up mode, which is really fun mm-hmm. as well. Um, you could unlock the little T-Rex with the giant boxing gloves, uh, Gun. Mm-hmm. He's a manga character, actually. I forget what manga it is, but that's all I really know about him. Um, but yeah, dude, playing as Paul Phoenix and King, like, I, I, I love those characters. And, um, I don't know, uh, Tekken 3 left a, the cover of Tekken 3 is what left a real impression on me. Jin with that, uh, glove, like holding his glove up and everything and stuff like that. There was just some kind of like, uh, there was like a personification of cool factor, uh, going for it. I felt like, but yeah, yeah, I'm over embellishing here, I guess a little bit, but that's okay. uh, um, all right, I'm going to go first. Uh, yeah, yeah. So my number 10 is a game from a, of a series that sort of kind of came – didn't necessarily come out of nowhere. Uh, it came in competition. The PlayStation 1, you saw – and you've seen this in other generations as well. But I would say that th- that the, the PlayStation 1 – let me see how I want to go with this. Okay, so – on the Xbox 360 and PS3, it seemed like everybody was racing to make the next Gears of War or the next Call of Duty. I think that's a fair that's a fair statement. In the early Definitely. 90s, everyone was racing to make the next Mario or Sonic. And then you started getting in the PS1 era. It seemed like everybody was kind of racing to make the next Final Fantasy, the next Resident Evil, or the next Metal Gear Solid. And so the game series I'm going to talk about here, and I have the first game in the series, is Siphon Filter. So Siphon Filter stars Gabe Logan. It is very much – do you have Siphon Filter on your list? That's my number 10. I swear to God, I didn't see this coming. (laughs) Let's go. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So Siphon Filter – it's it's different though than Metal Gear Solid. It plays different. It's much more you know Metal Gear Solid has that sort of overhead overhead view, um, and we'll you know we'll probably get to Metal Gear Solid. Is all all I'm going to say. But on on that, but it, it plays different. It's it's behind the back. It's more third person sort of action adventure really. Even though there is some sneaking around, um, the plot I think is actually really interesting. You're just sort of uh, you're sort you're this super spy right uh gabe logan and you've got to go and you've got to stop you've got to go and you've got to stop these terrorists from taking over 
the action itself, you know, you're in this world that actually looked really cool for the the first time, and you end up flying around the world. But your first like handful handful of levels is like one event, and I like really like that they did that where you have you have like I think there's like twelve or thirteen levels of the game, but it's really like sp- yeah, that's it's right. like yeah. split up into events. So you start out and you're in the city. I don't know what city it is. Pro- oh, oh, Washington D.C. Right. Actually, yeah, yeah, you're in Washington D.C. and there are bombs uh, spread throughout the city, and yep. you, you can tell that they were really going to turn this into something bigger because, like, you come across these villains that it seems like you've run into before. Um, and Gabe is a great character, actually. Like, the some of the cutscenes you get in here are really cool for the time. Uh, the voice acting, I think, is done really well. The weapons uh, that you're going – the weapons you, you pick up along the way um, – you you're it's like this eco not eco terrorism you know, they're creating like dirty bombs i guess and this game's even for it sort of being stealth action i mean the action's there i mean you it 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 feels like it's tense i think is is a is a good way is so, is a good way to yeah, describe it gameplay wise it's for a ps1 game it it runs it's it's got a very fluid like way of of moving, you know, like it's not like where, um, you know, like you mentioned Metal Gear Solid, and I think that's a very great comparison to make it to because it's overhead and it's kind of like you, if you move Snake left, it's kind of like he'll immediately like move left. But in like Siphon Filter, it's like you're moving around, like I could run around in like a smoother like circle Pretty and circle. run like. Mm-hmm diagonally it's 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 a lot more seamless i feel like than metal gear solid basically so yeah i mean that's what i could say about that as far as gameplay goes though yeah and um so here let me i'll, I'll get it I'm, i have i have the page pulled up here someone pulled it up so in 1999 gabriel logan and his partner uh leon zang investigate a series of biological outbreaks triggered by the international terror group black baton led by eric romer when fellow agent Ellis loses contact during a mission in Costa Rica, the top secret agency dispatches Gabe and Leon uh, to find him. They discover Ellis is dead, and Romer's suspected drug operation is a cover for the viral operation. Another outbreak in Nepal leads to more questions when an infected person who should have perished somehow survives. Well, now we're in right. Washington, D.C., and Romer... Uh, is threatening to blow up bombs all across the city. So, like, your first stage, Adam, you're in sort of the streets of Washington, D.C. You've got to run into buildings. you got to go disarm bombs. And then uh, you end up going down into the tunnels, into the subway. The, some of the the subway blows up, and now you've got to run. You run, you know, climb. You, there's like some there's some platforming in this, which is really cool. You've got to like yeah. you got to climb around the subway, which is now destroyed. Then your third stage is you're racing through the subway, having a battle, and there's trains coming at you. You've got to weave yeah! in and out and shoot people. That's right. Then you go to the these this uh, park in Washington D. Right? This, this park in Washington D.C. where. Uh, you've got to race around and find these bombs, and it's like pretty far spread out. Uh, then you move to like this boss battle in the fifth stage, where you're fighting this guy in the Lincoln Memorial, and he's got a flamethrower. Yeah, I mean it's it was awesome to say to it say the a- least. And then you start jumping around the world. There's like a snow level where you have to be stealthy. Like some you can be stealthy, some you can have to be you can be action oriented. There's tons of weapons, you know, silenced pistols, uh, assault rifles. 
um, you can snipe taser. snipe rifles. The taser is absurd and makes zero sense. The taser in this game, is... but it makes for some really funny uh, scenes though. Yeah. Like when you watch your opponent go on fire and they're like, "Oh!" The taser is the most absurd <laughs> thing I've ever seen. I don't even know tasers do not work like that. What they don't whatsoever. Reality, no. You can tase somebody from like across the screen, and you can just hold the button. And you will just continue to tase them, and they catch on fire, uh, and yeah. then you can just hold it. You can just hold it, and they'll keep, like, screaming for as long as you want. It's ridiculous. It's great. It makes for some incredibly fun uh, gameplay, to say the least. But, man, this game blew up, spawned a several several more games. Uh, we got uh, Siphon Filter 1 through 3, then there was, like, a PSP game. Might have been two PSP games, and I believe one PS2 game. And then it kind of just... Just fell off at that fell point. Off. At its time, basically, there was um, a mega strain on the PS2 where you don't play as Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, you create a character, which um, I'd rather would have just played as Gabe, to be honest. Right. Especially when um, Gabe is on I, the I, cover. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, uh, this game takes a lot of twists and turns. There's, you know, it's a tale of action, it's espionage, uh, government conspiracy without giving uh, too much away. You know, and it's like you said, you go around the world, you know, you're in D.C., you go to Kazakhstan. I love the level when you're, um, you're tailing the, uh, you're, you're trying to ghost the, uh, the head of the uh, pharmaceutical company. Uh, in the and, museum? In, in the museum. Mm-hmm. In the museum. Yeah, I love that. And I love the music that plays in that level, too. Um you get other fun weapons too, like the uh, the M seventy nine grenade oh, launcher. Yeah. Um, and another cool thing that this game did was, I think it's one of the L or R buttons though. It'll zoom you into a first person mode where you can maneuver and move your crosshair around. Yes, and I was like, that was a real game changer because. You don't just zoom in and you're in, like, this fixed position. It's like, I can move this around and around the corner or above, like, a building, and, like, I can get my target then. I That was so, so freaking cool. Um, the lighting. Thing about... The lighting in oh, this yeah. game. You can, you can go shoot lights and it gets dark. Like, that in itself, like, the world you're presented in, for the PlayStation 1, it really kind of pushed the limits. As to just like just I gameplay ideas that were kind of ahead of its time. I know that like today that seems incredibly obvious, but at that time it was kind of crazy to see something like that. Yeah, you could you could somersault through a window and it had all the right sound effects, and you and not only did you hear the window break, you heard the particles falling on the ground and crickling and crackling and stuff like that. I, it, it was just – it was so, so good. I like the the fact, too, that it's like the game gives you like a shield in a sense. You get a flak jacket, but if your flak jacket is depleted, you have to you be careful damage. at that point. But you could always get new ones uh, as well. Uh, the combat shotgun was another fun weapon, I remember. Uh, night vision sniper rifle. Uh, so 989 Studios made this game, and for those that don't know, um, that was actually the PlayStation's house developer uh, down the line. Like it, it was, it was Sony Interactive, but it eventually was just rebranded as 989. And a lot of people give a lot of flack to 989, but it's just like 
I don't think that's necessarily fair on the account that we had a game that played extremely well for its time, had really good graphics, it played smoothly, it didn't glitch out a lot or anything, there were like no bugs, it had a great soundtrack, great voice acting, I, I just, it, this was a game ahead of its, uh, ahead of its time, and I think would, uh, Along with Metal Gear Solid, dare I say, this this game helped set the bar for uh, stealth. stealth games. And, right. And Without I think this would have made a yep. great television show, by the way. It would, actually. I, this would be a game, as Sony is beginning to, you know, I mean, The Last of Us is getting a, a show. Um, I mean, I, I Siphon Filter, to me, like, would be, this, I think it would be a great time to bring it back, to be to be entirely honest, with, with the PlayStation 5. Um, I... I they have other, they obviously have other properties and stuff like that, but uh, especially since they're working with Hideo Kojima now, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a little a, a little bit right with like a, whatever his was Death Stranding right like there was, a, right. there was a big deal of bringing him out and Hideo Kojima can obviously not no longer work on Metal Gear Solid, so I would love to I mean I would love to obviously have him work on a siphon filter game and see what we could see you know see what we could get there so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's both of our number ten. So I guess I'll I'll come back. It'll come back to me here, uh, and I'll yeah. go to my number nine. So this is actually interesting. There were a handful of computer games that got ported to the PlayStation One. Um, I believe Warcraft got a PlayStation port. I know Diablo did, and it I ha- did. I had Diablo. It certainly did. Yeah. But the one my brothers and I played. Circle, X, circle, triangle, square, triangle. That is the nuke code for Command & Conquer Red Alert. It is still etched into my brain all of these years (laughs) later. Uh, And my God, Command & Conquer Red Alert. We played this game for so many hours, I could not even begin to tell you uh, how, 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 how many. The PlayStation port of this game was great. Um, you know, if you've ever played any of the Command and Conquer series, the Red Alert uh, part of the Command and Conquer, you know, there's there's several franchises inside of inside of Command and Conquer. You have the main series, you have the Red Alert series, you have the Generals series. But for me, Red Alert One is is, is sort of my go-to in in the Command and Conquer franchise. Um, it's sort of an interesting take on it's a it's a what if scenario. And this obviously it's a it's a real time real time strategy game, but it's a what if scenario, and it's basically like Albert Einstein develops a time machine. They go back, they kill Hitler, and World War II plays out incredibly different, uh, to 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 say the least. Um, and you get to play as either the Allies, um, you know, you can play as Russia, Germany, uh, the UK, uh, the UK. You don't get to play as America until the second one, but you get some pretty interesting designs, uh, right with tanks and everything. Um, you get, you, you can get like some of the super tanks. You are like the Kronos tank where you can teleport around the map. Um, the Russians get the Iron Curtain, uh, basically. Or, I forget, is that was that what it's called? Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And you can like make you can make things invent invincible. The soundtrack in this game is is ridiculous. Just go listen. Just go type in Command and Conquer uh, Red Alert Hell March, and you just rock out. I mean, it's. I mean, they turned the game to about the twenty five on the amplifiers for that song, and just go and just go to town. Um, there was a 
the expansion uh, did get its own release for the PlayStation, which is Command and Conquer uh, Retaliation. You know, it has the cheesy '90s uh, cutscenes, right? Like FMV, you know, uh, scenes. You get the some of the the special uh, things you get are like Tesla coils, right, which shoot electricity throughout. Um, great campaign, but really skirmish is where you're going to be spending a lot of time. And I think you actually could hook two PlayStation ones up and play against each other, which was pretty cool. Oh, but man. I, didn't, I, I did not, I did know, not know anybody who had who had the PlayStation One link, the PlayStation One link cable. But uh, yeah, so it was it was an absolute ton of fun. The, the, t- so many hours on it, and you can actually play it now. It's been re released on on PC, and the series went on to obviously do. Um, a few cool things, but yes, the Command and Conquer series, great. I um, I didn't play a lot of um RTS games, but I I have it pulled up here. But I am such a sucker for the those old school '90s isometric styled games. Like I just love the way those graphics look, and I wish we would get. Like obviously they still make isometric games and stuff like that, but I just I wish someone would just do a callback and like keep those graphics and just do a game as like a fan service with those because oh oh my god I just there's just something so goddamn charming about them oh man but yeah this was a a game I heard uh, a lot of my friends talked about stuff like uh, Command and Conquer and um, you know you brought up Warcraft and I think even Warcraft. Two was even on the PS1, actually, I believe. Just those. I I don't think. I think three they just kept on the PC. But yes, yeah, Warcraft Two uh, is th- on, those is were on, definitely Warcraft there. Two is on the PlayStation One. Yes. 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 I just looked it up. Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty sure about that. <laughs> I was pretty confident about that. Yeah, and so and then of course you know what happened to. Um, Westwood, the studio, uh, is the same thing that happened to every great studio during this time. They were purchased by a company called EA and then pretty much fired <laughs> and shut down so that they could see it was even happening all the way back then. That's too, when guys. it started, man. That's that is that is that is when it started. So, yeah, the series did go on uh, to have Red Alert 2 and 3. 3 was not very good, but then there was obviously Command and Conquer games on the other side. That's sort of like the Tiberium. Uh, timeline some people believe they're sort of connected uh, because the main sort of villain Kane who is in the uh, other games uh, does appear in this and so it's people have sort of theorized you know that that they are because they're alternate universes or that he traveled through time or you know whatever so um, they are they are they are sort of uh, potentially connected there but basically they all, they all play roughly the same, but yeah, I mean, tons of fun. I mean, just maxing out men and, you know, the amount of ways that you can play this game, you know, I would, I would love, sometimes I would just create fields of like men with just, you know, just your basic infantry men with machine guns and just have them go run into a base and just try to see how many tanks, you know, how many men would it take to just overthrow, overthrow a base. Right. Uh, or you can like build full airport. Um, you can build tons of, airplanes and just start bombing everybody you get subs tanks um but everybody who's ever played this knows by far the best character in the game is the dog the dog is i think it's the russians that get the dog the dog is so overpowered in this game (laughs) because dogs just wreck 
fields of infantrymen. Just, I mean, just like one dog can take out like 20 to 30 infantrymen and there's just nothing they can do because they move so fast that they just start, they just start, they would just shred through. So by far, if you're playing as Russia, you have the first thing you need to start building is dogs because you, you pretty much guaranteed to win. Hot tip right there. <laughs> dogs. <laughs> game game winning strategy. Don't worry about tanks. Don't worry about airplanes. Just build dogs. Okay? And you are <laughs> set. Uh, so ridiculous. So all right. Um Adam, I'll toss it back to you, man. What's your number nine? My number nine and uh, it, you know, if anyone heard the first time I ever came on the show and talked about wrestling games with Matt, well, we're going to take a little flashback here. Uh, WWF SmackDown. Oh, yeah. Now, there are probably people asking me, oh, well, why wouldn't you pick something like SmackDown 2? And it's like, yeah, look, I get it. SmackDown 2, I think, was the last wrestling game to come out for the PS1, which made it a lot more uh, advanced. Um, and it was a bit more um, innovative at the time with its season mode. And it was the first game to actually show championship belts. But um, to be fair, this was the game I spent more time with. And for that reason, it is why it goes on my list. But it's like you've really got to think about it this way, too. It's like, you know, the SmackDown games, starting with this one you know, would lead us into the more simulated style that the 2K games uh, became. And, um, you know, while I think that's true, the first SmackDown, I mean, and, you know, for the most part, uh, the second SmackDown and maybe, like, Here Comes the Pain, they they still had a very uh, arcade uh, style feel to them. Uh, your matches were extremely fast-paced. We've talked about this before. You know, it's, they only really last a couple of minutes because it's like, it's kind of like a race, basically, to get your um, finisher gauge up because it's just, if you don't knock your character out with your finisher, which is a thing you can do, you're guaranteed a winning pin, uh, basically, for the mo- for the most part. If it doesn't knock uh, them when out. When you get that special. Yeah, if it doesn't knock them out. You could turn that mode off. You could turn KO off if you want, like, a more authentic experience to just get, like, you know, the one, two, three pin, uh, basically. And, yeah, you know what? WWF SmackDown 2 has my favorite version of The Undertaker, which is the American Badass Undertaker. Hot take! I know! People are going to probably hang me for that, but oh well. Um, The season mode is pretty much endless. It just keeps uh, going, but the idea is just to get the top of, like, the... uh, the power rankings. Remember when like power rankings mattered for mm-hmm. wrestling? Like back in the day, every like wrestling website, like like the old WWE website or like TNA, like everyone had like the top ten like power rankings of like the week, basically. Um, and I worked my way to the number one spot. I usually played as uh, The Rock, Austin, or uh, Mankind. Um, it, it's just um, you know, I had fun at the time playing. You know, Warzone. I had fun at the time playing Attitude and uh, WCW uh, versus the World and stuff like that. But you know, those were very different kinds of games, and um, I didn't realize how good we really had it until um, WWF SmackDown, you know, hit the shelves. Uh, really, right. um, this was a game I didn't own. I just rented it a lot from Blockbuster. How's that for a throwback now, guys? I'm dipping into Blockbuster here. Oh, we will, yeah. You could rent PlayStation games. Uh, but, yeah. Um, I mean, 
I wouldn't say... Actually, maybe it might be my favorite wrestling game of all time, too, since the PlayStation is my favorite console of all right. time. So another hot take there. Uh-oh. Yeah, so yeah. so I have, and I think and it's, I think it's okay for me to talk about it now. So at my number five spot, I have SmackDown 2. Ooh, okay. Um, but I think I think it I think it's important to talk about both of them. So you know we went from the I think Midway created the Atti- uh, Warzone and then Attitude, and the difference between Warzone and Attitude was pretty huge. It was like a huge step up. Um, the difference between Warzone and Attitude. Now on the N sixty four side, the games were obviously way better years ahead, and that's sort of fine. Um, because I grew, I didn't get an N64 until late, so I didn't even know that those games like existed. To be honest with you, in my in my mind, so for me it was the it was the jump from Attitude to SmackDown. I didn't get the first SmackDown, but I got the second one. And actually, they only released like eight months apart. It wasn't even a full year. Um, in, yeah, in, that's in, true. In, in between them, so my cousin had it, and I'd go over to his house and play it. But the difference between Attitude and SmackDown One was pretty crazy. And there's definitely it is pretty crazy. There's definitely there's a, there's a severe gap, between huge gap in, in between them. Now it's developed by THQ, and THQ had actually done Nitro. And actually, going right. back and looking at Nitro, you and WCW Thunder, you can see some of the gameplay that goes from that to SmackDown. Um, you can see like that more arcadey, quicker, fast-paced uh, thing. In some ways, you could almost argue that SmackDown is really like Thunder 2 or Nitro 3, right? Uh, if you really want to uh, look at it. And yeah, sure. You can make that If you want to look at it going from that. But so going from Attitude to SmackDown was insane because now you had full motion video for the cutscenes. Although Attitude did have like their actual entrances, which was kind of cool. Yes, they did. Um, the roster definitely decreased, but it's okay because they looked way better. Uh, they played way better. Everything about that game looked so much better than Attitude. Um, I definitely, you know, we also now had back be, the ability to go backstage, which you could not do in a wrestling game before. At That's least, true. at least not a wrestling game like on on the PlayStation. So that was a huge difference. Just in that, you got like Jeff Hardy was added. Um, you could unlock characters. The creator wrestler was pretty cool. Uh, I definitely think that the ranking system in SmackDown 1 was better. The load times were certainly better. The season mode had some flaws, but they, they were both flawed, um, just in that you would get these like random cutscenes, which makes z- no sense whatsoever. Uh, it would just be like you're in, like you're just going through this sort of simulation of the of the night, uh, and then it would be like Kane is angry, and it's like, well, Kane's not even wrestling tonight, so what, why is Kane angry? And there's no, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no like, follow up. It's like they literally just here's events, and they just threw him in there and hit random and whatever. Whenever they happen, they happen, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, that's it. It's whatever. Um, I, one of the things I really liked about SmackDown One was that there you could turn this thing on where it would tell you what the move was that you were doing. Uh, and it would like appear on the screen. And I always thought that was kind of cool, even though it's sort of unnecessary. But the reason it was cool was when you made a character, you could you could name your finisher anything you wanted. Even if it's like the people's elbow. You could go in and you could name it whatever you wanted. Like so you could just pick like a scoop slam and, and go in and, and rename it like the Devastator or, you know, whatever you wanted it to be, and it would appear on the screen. And I always thought that was kind of cool. 
Um, but then I guess for me, the reason I have SmackDown 2 or SmackDown 1, one is I had a lot more time with SmackDown 2 because um, I just played SmackDown 1 with my cousin. Uh, but SmackDown 2 definitely sort of amplified everything. Uh, there were more characters. The arena you could go into was bigger. The creative, creative – uh, character was totally overhauled. Um, there was a lot more depth. It to, was a lot it was more depth. A lot too. more depth yes. to it. Way more depth in the creative character. There's more wrestlers. More wrestlers you could unlock. You could even sort of unlock move sets of like people who were wrestling for WCW at the time, and they would like there was a bunch of these like guys who would randomly show up during uh, events, and they obviously were like weren't named, but it was like clearly like oh that's Bret Hart or that's that's Hulk Hogan. Um, and so that was definitely kind of cool that they were sort of like super secret in there, but yeah, um, either way they're, they're both great. And I, but I, I had more time with SmackDown too. So that's why I have it at my number five. You had SmackDown one cause you had more time with it. So I think, you know, that's, but I knew that one that, that we would both have a SmackDown game on our list. <laughs> yeah. And rightfully so. I, I, uh, you know, I'm glad that you, you know, you pointed out those differences, like 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 I said, yes. Yeah, S- S- SmackDown once created a character was like you used parts of different wrestlers right. and mashed them together. It was really odd. It was very and there were hand- also and there, was, uh, and there was certainly like just custom ones that were not regular characters. But you were basically locked yeah. And it wasn't a lot though. It wasn't a lot of options you, though. You got a lot more options with SmackDown yeah. two. Uh, no doubt. Um, not not to burst your bubble though. Um, uh, I think you said it was midway that did the games before. It was, it was actually a claim. A claim. You're right. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a claim. Sports. I went and pulled out the. Um, I went and pulled out Attitude and uh, Warzone really quick to be sure. I thought it was a claim. Sports and uh, yeah, sure enough, it was. Another thing too was yeah, you know, you had THQ uh, behind the SmackDown games, but also that's when. Um, Ukes also came into the picture as well to help THQ because Ukes was making games in Japan. One of those games we got, like uh, like Power Move Pro Wrestling, which was a New Japan game in Japan. Um, you know that was like one of their first like uh, fully 3D uh, wrestling titles. Um, just somehow down the line, THQ was able to like uh, I guess get them into contract and. That played a huge part in that uh, arcadey feel. Another difference, you know, like we talked about that gap between Attitude and the first SmackDown, and it's the way you do moves. Whereas, like, with SmackDown, it's like, okay, you hit grapple, and then you press one of the directional pads to do a certain move. While in Attitude, you kind of had to do a sequence of buttons like if you were playing a fighting game to do a move. Right. It, it oh, it was ridiculous. Well for it was ridiculous. Yeah. I remember having to do. I remember having like to do like playing a Shawn Michaels and doing the sweet chip music. It was like left down, upright, square, circle, triangle, to do like a, a kick, and it was it was absurd. Yeah, it was absurd. The yeah, claims, yeah, and the, but claim sports also made uh, the ECW games right, and it's the exact so same really, engine. The and the engine. Yeah, so is, it's like WWF attitude with the with the facelift. Right, basically. and then so. they took that engine to the PlayStation Two and worked on three Legend of Wrestling games. They did, yes, yes. yeah. With uh, those, I had the first had a one. bit more of a cult following. Though, yeah, I had I, I had the first one, uh, which everyone says is actually the worst of the three. Um, but I'm injured. A lot of people loved Showdown. Showdown, though. yeah. I know a lot of people that liked Showdown, yeah. which was the third one, right. I believe. 
Yeah, so. Um, Okay, Uh, so back to me here with my number eight. Um, So this is where I have what many will argue to be the best game on the PlayStation. Um, Certainly, if not one of the best RPGs ever made. This is where I have Final Fantasy VII. All right, there we go. is Is that my number eight slot? So... You know, I mean, obviously, everything that could ever be said about Final Fantasy VII, you know, it's great. Everybody knows all of, all of the history behind. It. I guess I'll kind of just just so I think I think what I'll do is I'll talk about sort of my experience with it, playing it sort of for the first time. Um, I think that's better than just going through. Oh, it's an RPG. You get cloud, all this stuff. So I remember playing it. Um, my brother had it, and I remember playing Final Fantasy VII and just being like blown away because everyone at school was talking about it and i was like have no really idea i had played final fantasy mystic quest for the super nintendo um so i was somewhat familiar with final fantasy but like i had never played really like anything like this to be able to run around in the world it started is beginning to sort of understand you know how just how really how RPGs work in like a different sense. Um, it just seemed so huge. It going into it, it felt like the biggest game I'd ever played. Like it felt like I would like like there would I would never run out of things to do in this game. Um, and I remember so specifically like Midgard just seemed like the absolute coolest place to me. Like, running around and just, like, fighting all of the monsters, uh, you know, like, scaling the wall, going all the way up to the Shinra building, uh, seeing, like, who's this guy Sephiroth they're talking about? Like, what just happened here? Like, people are murdered. There's, like, blood everywhere. It was just, it, like, was blowing my mind. I was, like, I'd never, ever, ima- like, could even imagine um, a game like this. So it was definitely, like, just a huge eye-opener for me. It just as like, what you could even do with video games. Um, obviously the soundtrack and everything and all that great, but so um, I don't want to, I don't have to dive too deep into you know everything about Final Fantasy VII, but yeah, that was just sort of my initial experience with it, and it's it's a game I've gone back to tons and tons of times again, um, you know even now with the with the remaster I bought uh, bought it on Switch, plowed through it on Switch last year, the whole game. Um, I I probably go through Final Fantasy VII about once every like two to three years. I'll replay the whole thing. It's a nice ritual to have. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that with the Zelda games. So why not with a with a game like yeah, Final Fantasy VII? No doubt. Yeah. So um, let me see. There's just some other things. So I guess uh, in sort of comparing it to some of the other Final Fantasy games, like one of the re- I think I think it's probably it's in my top four um, favorite Final Fantasy games. Um, I think I probably have one that we'll get to. Um, Final Fantasy Tactics is in there. Um, F- Final Fantasy Fifteen has really, really changed like Final Fantasy for me, and that's probably my favorite ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's probably my third, I guess, if I had to pick. Uh, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest would be in there too. Um, I feel like it has some of the best mini games in the Final Fantasy series. You get the Golden Saucer. Uh, you can replay the sort of 
motorbike stage. You can snowboard. Um, you get all these sort of little mini games, the chocobos, um, getting the, the summons, like the Knights of the Round. Um, I really like the cast of characters in this Final Fantasy. Uh, compared to I love every character compared, in compared Final to Fantasy others, VII. I've played through this game so many times with different character um, options. Sid is 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 the Final Fantasy VII Sid is probably one of my favorite characters ever. Um, Me too. Yuffie, I love. I think she's she. Me too. She's yes. great. Vincent, I've kind of gone back and forth on. Like sometimes you know it's because people fanboy over him so much. Kate Sith, I will say, is probably like my least favorite Final Fantasy playable character ever. Um, I don't know why. I'm just always so turned off by Kate Seth. I love Barrett. Love Tifa. Um, obviously Aerith dying. Um, or Ares as she would, as she was called then. Um, uh, but you know, obviously changed uh, over time to Aerith. So yeah, and you know, honestly, I know like it eventually will get the full Final Fantasy remake. But I feel like just because I grew up with it, even when that's like out and everything, I'll still probably just go back and play the original. Yeah, uh, I haven't played the remake uh, at all. Uh, well, mainly because uh, <laughs> I I don't I never got any of the new PlayStations right. after the PS2. Um, but um, I kind of just want to remember it for uh, what it was for for the original uh, magic that it had back then. Um, for such an aged game. Uh, the team I used to uh, beat the game actually was um, Cloud, Yuffie, and Sid. Mm-hmm. Actually, <laughs> that was my that was my go-to. I loved them. I loved how um, I always viewed Yuffie as this very like playful, like little sister kind of type. Um, if I was ever to able to do like a uh, a dream voice cast, I always pictured Sid with David Morrissey's voice of uh, for people that don't know who that is um he was uh the governor in The Walking Dead oh okay and um he's 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 um he's a british actor so obviously in Walking Dead he's doing like a southern uh georgia style kind of accent so and that's that's the voice i hear when I hear, when I see Sid going like, "Shut up and drink your damn tea," you know, like I just picture that voice. And I think that's perfect. Like I just think it suits him so well. But um, yeah, I I just can't believe I hated this game. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay, man. But, uh, I, I I am so glad I came around. I'm so glad I came around to it. Yeah, you know, so it's also like you know, you got to remember like when I first played like Shining Force. I didn't understand it because I, you know, I was, I was like five. I was like, I, you know, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. Sometimes it's especially with RPGs and like being really young, like younger. It's, it's a lot. Like you have to be invested. You have to, you know, it's not the easiest concept to grasp when you're, when you're that young. But I think I, it's, it's I, I think RPG, which RPGs is, as you get a little bit older, you come to appreciate them more. So I certainly don't certainly, certainly can understand it. Yeah, I remember when I finally replayed it and finished it when Final Fantasy XV came out. Since I could understand it better since I was older, when I finally realized what it was Aerith was doing before she died, uh, spoiler alert for right. anyone, yeah. uh, you know, she's basically going to sacrifice herself. 
um, and she accepts that. I kind of felt like Mo in The Simpsons when he goes back to a bartending college and his professor um, walks into the lake and he's like, oh, oh. Like, that's what I felt like when I realized, right, this is what's happening. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, uh, should I? Um, yeah. Should I go into my number eight? Yeah, All right. Great. So you n- mentioned this on your honorable mentions list. So I'm going to go into it a little bit more. Uh, and again, this is another thing that people are going to hang me for because I didn't pick the original. Road Rash 3D, ladies and gentlemen. I love Road Rash 3D. Oh, my God. It's, re- it's it great. Was, it is great. And it, in its own right, you know, it's the successor to PS1's Road Rash from 1995, which was actually a port from 1991 because uh, there were three Road Rashes mm-hmm. before yeah. uh, Road Rash 3D. Um, so Road Rash 3D brings all those same elements that any Road Rash title gives you, you know, fast bikes, clobbering racers with a lead pipe or a steel chain, whatever the heart's content. Uh, the only difference was this time we had full-on 3D graphics, baby! <laughs> you know, it's like a lot of the hardcore fans would criticize uh, this game for the absence of the two-player mode and that the combat wasn't as accessible as the original Road Rash titles. Now, listen, I love this game, but I will admit, okay, yeah, maybe the combat isn't really like how it used to be. It is a bit harder to uh, master, but that's all part of the experience. And as far as you know, two-player mode goes, to be fair, we had this game with this massive map of all of these interconnected tracks, which was done cleverly. Mind you, I thought they yeah. did such a good job at connecting all well, of those tracks. Real quick, real quick here. Yeah, that is the first game that I can even think of. Like when you like, like a few years later, we got Need for Speed Underground Two, which like had yeah. this sort of like it was like an open world ish Need for Speed, right? Where you can sort of free roam a little bit in a racing game. But the first game I ever remember be, be, ever remember being able to sort of do that in was Road Rash. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, because you could, you know, you had a couple of different modes. You had, you had, um, you had your thrash mode, which you could just do uh, any race on any level and pick whatever bike you want, so long as you unlocked the higher level bikes in a uh, big game mode, which big game mode takes you through. Uh, you have um, three levels of difficulty. Level one, you have to beat a certain number of races, and then you move on to level two. You buy a new bike, a faster bike, and then you have to beat a certain number of races to qualify to level three and then level three you have to complete a certain number of races to get to the final race which is like the longest track it takes like 20 minutes to play through the damn thing yes um and also in the road rash games if you come in from first to third place you win the race Mm -hmm. that last race you have to be in first place or you have to do it all over again you know, and now, uh, without getting uh, too ahead of myself here, though, because the map was so vast and you had these fully three three D rendered graphics, it's like okay, maybe you could have done two player the way the original Road Rash did, where it's like you swap turns. Basically, you're kind of competing to see who could get to the next level before the you know the other player. But if you did a split screen. 
there would have been all sorts of frame issues, I think, with it. There would have been serious frame drops, in my opinion, um, because it was a lot to render, especially at that time, too. You know, it was 1998. Um, I loved the soundtrack to this game. You know, you mentioned, you know, we had a Kid Rock song. We had cool uh, punk music from, like, CIV. We had the Mermen, some cool surf rock, full on the mouth, that industrial alternative music of the late 90s. You know, it's, I loved the fun sort of, obviously I'm sure most of these bikes were based off of um, real bikes, but they had fake names like the Firecracker, the Demoto 500s. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and a lot of that, uh, sorry, a lot of that comes into yeah. the factions. Like in, in yes, all of the exactly. other Road Rush games, you just race against people. But in this, you sort of had factions, right. which was really cool. Right. Yeah, so depending on what bike you picked depended on what faction you were in. I always started with Firecracker, so I always rode with the Cafe Boys. Are those the so, – is that is that like the street bikes? bikes? Yeah, so there was yeah, there exactly. was them. There was like the sort of like you know biker gang, like leather jackets, you know Harleys, and then what were the other two? I think there was four factions so total, you, right? Yeah, so you had uh, the Cafe Boys, which were like your average, like you know your your, your crotch rocket, your sport bikes. Um, you had the uh, the Dooleys, um, uh, the the Panzer Club, mm-hmm. which. Um, so the Panzer, you start with like the Moto 500 and stuff like that, and everything. I think they were the more so like no, not them. I think the bikers were uh, the the biker bikers, like the more like American style. Right. Were um, I think the Dooleys. They had the the Panzer Club. You know what? Hang on, we're gonna grab this. I, I grab the case. Let's open up the man. Let's here. go. Let's go, man. Here we go. So, oh, uh, Tech Guys. The Tech Guys were the yes. other. Were the last they, oh so it was Tech Guys, Cafe Boys, the Desads, and uh, and then there was uh, hang on, I got like a uh, yeah so yeah and the the, the dualies yeah, yeah, yeah so I think it's it. kind of like you have like crotch rockets, um, street bikes or crotch rockets like Harley's, then you think sort of um, uh, like in oh, what do you call it like enduro type bikes uh you know like you're about to be your on-road, off-road, uh, not like yes, not dirt exactly. bikes, but what are they called? Dual sports, yeah, dual sports, dual sports, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people would kind of used to refer to them as like rat bikes back in the day too. Right. I think I, that was a term I'd heard. Um, but yeah, um, and I thought that was cool too because the cool thing about being in the faction you were in is they usually rode the same bike as you, but their outfit looked a little different. But they won't attack you though. They won't attack you on the road like other bikers might. So that that was, um, you know, it, it made a difference. It, so I, I always thought that was cool. But just the interconnected tracks was so cool. And going back to what you said, like, about this open world, you know, if you were doing a race, if you wanted to go the wrong way. You could. You could go the wrong way. and You could just drive around. Explore the map. And, you know, you'll have cops chasing after you. But that made it fun, too. Uh this game, like every Road Rash game, did carry over like most of the same names as like the cops, right? Like uh, O'Malley or O'Gravy and uh, Kelly, like stuff like that. It was a good game. It's definitely still one of my favorite racing games uh, of all time. Um, I will say that I always play this. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
hey, my brothers and I always play this. I'm the only one to ever actually beat the game out of the three of us. <laughs> so yeah, I will say I always hold that yeah, over the their game, heads. The gameplay by today's standards, if you try to go back and play it, it can be a lit a bit loose. Uh, oh sure, definitely. <laughs> like some definitely. of the corners, man. When you're going around those like breakneck speeds, you gotta like, know when to decelerate yeah. or, or break. You know, it's not a lot of the times. It's not all about having the fastest bike and having the, the best speed. It's about actually knowing how to use the bike, really. So that was another uh, fun factor, which I didn't really grasp till I was older. Because when you're a kid, you're just like, I want to go fast. Like that's it. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I I'm watching. I'm reading. looking at gameplay footage over now. I'm like, yeah, I loved this game. Absolutely. Yeah. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Even the even the area you're in, many had mountains. You could get up to the beach. Like it was a pretty cool little city you could ride around in. I loved it. I I I loved it. And it's like, okay, I get it. A lot of people loved the original Road Rash, and I do too. The original Road Rash is a very good game. But I'm not going to pick it just because it's like the popular demand. Right. No. Well, like, it's Road this, Rash this is about is my heart's content. This, yeah, this is about what we played. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, so there you so go. Awesome. That's my number eight. Awesome. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to my number seven here. So this is my, I guess, second RPG. Uh, I have four total. Um, <laughs> so um, this is a game, man, I was, uh, I've actually been playing it recently. Got back into it recently. And it's it just announced that it's going to be coming to Switch. Now, how that's going to work, I'm very curious to see. Um, it And its sequel. And that is, uh, you know, when Pokemon came out, Adam. It seemed like everybody was racing to make the next Pokemon. It seems like, you know, we talked about this, right? It seems like everybody's going oh, everybody's yeah, to rush. definitely. And so, you know, the I'd say the two sort of ones that came out that uh, seemed like, you know, they may have existed. But, well, I don't think that one of them did. But this this one may have existed beforehand. I don't know. But so Pokemon comes out and then there was Digimon. But the yeah. the game series that I'm more familiar with is Monster Rancher. Oh, man, I forgot about this series. So Monster oh. Rancher is, you know, it, it's kind of, I guess, the same concept as Pokemon. You have these sort of monsters. you They end up fighting. That's kind of it. Um, but the thing I really liked about Monster Rancher over, I mean, I love Pokemon, obviously. But one of the things I thought was cool is Monster Rancher is done a little bit differently. Rather than just, you know, wandering around, fighting whoever you want to fight, building up your Pokemon, try to become the champion – Monster Rancher has a little more like farming element to it um, in that you're like you get your monster um, and how you get your monster is incredibly cool. You can go to like a shop, get a monster, uh, you you take it back to your farm or you could put in CDs and it would give you like random monsters, um, which is kind of cool because one of the big aspects of this game is really it's not just the fighting of the monsters. It's the breeding of them. And you can like, and you can combine two and sort of create one, and so that gives you tons of different types for like what species they are, because pretty much any two species can mix. Like you can have like, there's you know, you have like the wolf and you have like the dinosaur, right? So if you if you mix them, you could get a blue because the wolf is blue, the dinosaur is green. You could get like a a green wolf, and he's got some of the aspects and characteristics of the dinosaur, and then you could mix. Or you could get a blue uh, dinosaur, right? And he has some of the aspects of the wolf and stuff like that. And so that's like a huge part of the game because your monsters will die after so many years. 
So like you, oh. yeah. So they will die. So you you gotta you gotta you gotta know when to sort of take. You can go and you can cryogenically freeze them basically, and then combine them later. But once you get your monster, you go back to your farm and you actually put them to work, and that's sort of how they train. And you can pick which stat you want to train. So like power, you have power, um, speed, defense, intelligence, which is used for sort of like. Um, if they have like fire, you know, they shoot fire or electricity or, you know, like what would I guess constitute sort of as like magic um, if you, or like special and type moves in Pokemon as opposed to physical type moves. Um, you have skill, which determines how much damage you can or how how likely you are to hit some hit somebody. So you have them do jobs and that gives you money and uh, increases your monster stats. You have to they have a. A meter. They have a few actual meters in, um, in them. One is how like loyal they are to you. Um, if you like are really harsh to them, like you're feeding them the worst food, and every time they do something wrong, you're like punishing them. They'll sort of not trust you. So then when you take them into battle, they won't listen to your commands as well. So you have like that to balance. There's like the ticking time clock of how long is this monster going to live. Some will live longer than others. Um, there are special events you can go to, like special battles you can do where you can get special items. Um, if you if they get tired and you have to let them rest, uh, and if you take a really tired monster to a battle and he gets you really hard, he could die. So, like, there's definitely a lot more, like, sort of, I guess, realism to it, which is kind of cool. Um, there's, like, a, there's a handful of cups and levels you have to progress through. Um, you can send them off to, like, special training, you there's there's a lot there's actually quite a bit really in in this game you can do there's like a uh, special event where you can take them on um sort of like trips and you can find like special items like you go to old ancient ruins and stuff like that but again if you do that that's gonna just gonna set them out for about a month which means they're not training and they could get lost sometimes and then you don't see them for a month um, there's a lot. It's actually incredibly, incredibly deep for what it is. So then there's the battling of the monsters, which is sort of the main focus of the game. And you have four moves, and it plays very differently than than Pokemon, even though you have four moves like you do in Pokemon. But your it plays almost like a fighting game, actually, because oh. um, it's 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 all real time. It's not turn based, and you it's almost kind of like a tug of war but think of like a 2d fighting game where you're looking at the characters and you can move closer to each other and further away um there's this slider that as you get closer uh you have four moves and each is like in a block on that scale um and so the closer you get will allow you to do a different move because your moves are based upon distance and so sometimes you know you'll fight a monster that doesn't have four moves so they can't attack from every distance and then this is where like your skill comes into it and your their loyalty uh and all of this stuff there's a lot to manage in it but it plays so fast and it's so much fun and it's just incredibly addicting i mean i i was like boot, playing it on an emulator on my tablet the other day uh and i looked up at the clock and i was like well i've been playing this for three hours uh <laughs> but yeah so and then so that's kind of it but one of the coolest things about it was the 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 cd aspect where you could get random monsters because you go to this like lab you say okay i want to i want to i want to import a monster from a cd and it's like totally like it just i don't know how what how it what how it scans whatever code it scans on cds but back in the day i'd be like dude mom what cds do you have because each one would be like a different monster 
And so yeah, now that's the thing I remember because I, I forgot this was a series, but once you said it, that was the first thing that came to my mind. But I didn't know how that mechanic worked. I knew you can do it, but yeah, but oh my, but it doesn't, God. it doesn't, it doesn't change though. It doesn't change. So like, um, if you, I, I remember scanning like I don't know, like a Lincoln Park CD or something, and I got a rabbit. But that that Lincoln Park CD would always give me a rabbit. It's not like it was random. You just need to put in some CD. So you could get even sort of like I think I'm trying to remember. I was looking at this yesterday um, because I'm emulating it on my tablet and my the emulator I use, which is the EPSXE emulator, allows you to change discs. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, what all games do I have here? Because I could change it in the in the emulator. And so there's like there's like great like game facts guys where people have scanned you know like hundreds of CDs and it's like. You know, Rob Thomas Santana Smooth gets you, you know, uh, uh, a like a golem, right, or whatever. And so it's like, uh, well, obviously I can't scan any of these old CDs right now because I'm doing it on my tablet. Um, but yeah, it's because it's made by Tecmo. I believe that some of the Tecmo games would give you like special and rare monsters, um, and like the dragon was like one that was like incredibly rare. Um, and I think if you used a te- if you used Tecmo games, you were more likely to get a dragon um, once you had unlocked like how to do it in the game. So yeah, tons of tons of fun, and it's coming to Switch. It was announced. It's coming to Switch. I don't know how they're going to do the shrine thing, um, if they're just or if they're just going to get rid of that or whatever. But um, yeah, so I cannot wait for it to come to Switch. The first and second game are getting ported. Well, I'm gonna have to look into this now, being that I'm a Switch owner. <laughs> I gotta see what this is all about now. Finally, <laughs> it's great, man. If you still have a, if you still actually, I mean, if you still have a PlayStation One or an or a, a way to play, I do a way to play PlayStation One games. I mean, dude, check it out. Yeah, I think you'd love it. I think you'd dive hard into it. Let's see how much probably an original copy goes. Probably rare. I bought one for my brother a few years ago. Mister I, I actually am still consi- I'm still considering buying one. Maybe I'll go to some sort of retro game store and and, and get it. Monster Rancher. Well, there's a bid for 35. Here's $75, $75 to buy right now. right now. Monster Rancher 2 $66 bid. Monster Rancher 2 Ninety-eight, ninety-nine yeah. ordered now. Yeah, oh it's kind of, it's I, you know what though? In all honesty, I might end up. There must have I, not have been a lot of pressings of this. I though, may to end be up. Honest. I may end up. Well, I might just steal my brother's copy because he never plays it. <laughs> um, to be entirely honest, but man, I might, I might snag this here. I might snag one of these eighty-dollar ones because I play the holy heck out of it. Well, I have a PS3 you know, save file is... that's got a ton of hours on it. <laughs> like, yeah. And I still have my original PlayStation 1 memory card that's got Monster Rancher save files on it. Now, the sequel, I did play a little bit, and then it goes on to like Monster Rancher 3 and stuff like that. Um, then there's like some really random spinoff games. Um, but I I remember playing the second one, and I just didn't like it as much. I don't know why. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't like it as much. I just ended up – I just liked the first one more. But I think most people prefer the second one. But I just I played the, I played the first one more. So, any anywho, that's my number seven. All right, my number seven. Well, hold on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. Shinji Mikami steering us in a new direction of survival horror. But oh, this isn't a tale of the brain eaters. 
or giant monsters with eyeballs popping out of their upper right shoulders. We're the paranormal. No, 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 no. Survival horror has been given a new face. And it comes to us from over 65 million years ago. It's Dino Crisis. Let's go. The Resident Evil copy made by the master himself. But instead, we get ferocious, extinct dinosaurs. You must have heard Matt and I talk about this before, uh, where we compared this to Resident Evil 3. We made the comparisons and the contrasts because they came out at the same time. And they were made by the same guy, same studio. Uh, it's. I feel like this is a very overlooked game now. There was a lot of hype around it, and now I feel like people have just um, forgotten about uh, Dino Crisis. Um, it would take the Resident Evil formula. You know, it played like that. It changed the frame where you, like, run around the corner and, oh, it changes the view and stuff like that. And you go up to the door and it shows the door open and you go in and then it shows you in your new room. Uh, but the one thing that was different about this from the uh, the first three Resident Evil games is this was on the PlayStation 1 and it was the first fully rendered 3D game. It didn't have pre-rendered uh, backdrops like the first three uh, Resident Evils. Uh, it added some other cool elements as well, like the bleeding effect where um, you play as uh, Regina and if you get attacked, you can bleed out uh, depend depending on severity of the attack and you leave a trail of blood. This can have dinosaurs follow you into other rooms unless it's a save room and it will drain your health unless you stop it with certain items like a, a hemostat. Um... Instead of item boxes like in Resident Evil, you have these things called emergency boxes that are stored throughout the map, but you need plugs to access them. Whatever box you find, like for example, if you find a blue box, you need a blue plug to open it, or a red box opens, uh, you need a red plug, and so on, uh, basically. Uh, this game had alternate endings based on what paths you took, what decisions you made. Uh, you know, that wasn't, I mean, it wasn't unheard of. But a lot of games that weren't doing it, though, at the time, you know, much as they are now with the advent of Fallout and Mass Effect and the Elder Scrolls and stuff like that and everything. Um, you know, fun little story. You play as a special agent, uh, Regina, and her and her team are sent to a secret facility um, to retrieve a rogue scientist, Dr. Kirk, who created the Third Energy Project. This was... Uh, this idea was to create a new clean energy source, but unfortunately, during testing and research, uh, the reactor for the third energy program ripped a hole in the space-time continuum, and dinosaurs poured out uh, onto the island. Uh, you know, you have raptors, you have a T-Rex chasing you around, uh, you have pterodactyls. Um, there's a... A sequence that happens in this game, unlike in the Resident Evil titles, where if you could get pounced on by a raptor and it goes into this thing called danger mode, and basically you have to button mash rapidly to escape before uh, like a raptor like uh, kills you. Uh, it's a very slow buildup, I have to admit, when you first play this game. 
But man, I remember when you encounter your first raptor in this game, the chills, the music, the buildup. Oh my god! So, so good. Uh, I recently played Dino Crisis uh, on Thanksgiving. Uh, this past Thanksgiving during the pandemic, my brother and I played Dino Crisis and Dino Crisis 2 back to back. I love the fun alternate costumes. Mm hmm you can unlock i think there's like an old cave woman outfit you know kind of like um kind of like flintstone style almost it's kind of funny um and i think to go hand in hand in resident evil 3 you could have jill valentine unlock regina's special forces costume so that's fun that that's really cool um yeah I, I this game was everything to me. I was a I was a big dinosaur kid, so to have a horror game with dinosaurs and you know you had the popularity of Jurassic Park in the '90s as well, which is probably I I could be wrong. You know I could be talking out my ass here, but maybe that's also what gave uh, Shinji Mikami the idea to be like you know I could probably cash in on this dinosaur craze now too. Because by this point, uh, Lost World had come out and that was a that was a box office hit. Um, yeah, no, it was fun. It is uh, scary. Um, yeah, uh, Matt, what are your memories uh, playing uh, Dino Crisis? Oh yeah, absolutely. We we did it. We did an episode on it, by the way, comparing yeah. it to, um, uh, you know, comparing it to Resident Evil Three, and it's it's right. oddly. I think also you could throw in Code Veronica into that same mix because really that's kind of a lot of those game those games sort of came out similarly. Um, it, it's sort of like. I think I think you can kind of compare those. Now I'm actually right now looking, and I'm I was trying to remember this, because um, I remember I played this on the Dreamcast um, as well, and looking at the footage side by side, I think I mean I, you can't you're not going to go wrong either way. Um, even though the Dreamcast has it in a slightly higher resolution, um, I actually think the PlayStation version would be the version I'd rather play um really yeah and i well i need unfortunately i think they're playing this on an on an emulator um and so really what i need to do is i need to do a comparison uh side by side with scan lines turned on because sometimes mm -hmm. you know uh, if i've i've actually been appreciating scan lines more and more um in that I've, there's a there's a Twitter I follow where he that's all this guy does is he shows the difference between playing a game on an emulator without scan lines and playing it on an emulator with scan lines and sometimes a lot of especially on those old like you know Super Nintendo uh, and even PlayStation games but more so like Genesis NES um, the way sprites were developed is they were sort of developed with scan lines in mind and so there's like a smoothness to them because of the scan lines that you would have on the old CRT televisions. But looking at them side by side, um, and this is actually a case with another game, Jedi Star Wars Episode One Jedi Power Battles, which I had in my, um, which I had in my honorable mentions, where I almost prefer the PlayStation version because it's not as clear as the Dreamcast, like around edges and things like that. It gives it more of a darker atmosphere. It's really quite interesting, actually, as I'm looking at these side by side. It is, it is, it is really, really, really interesting because you would imagine that you would want to play the game that has a sharper image. Um, so I'm going to encourage people if you're going to play this, I'd say go with the PS1 version over the Dreamcast version. 
But I, yeah, but so for me, I had played it on, um, I think I had played it on the, on the, on the Dreamcast. And yeah, there's a lot of like, but obviously it's, it's very similar to the, uh, to Res- the Resident Evil series. Some things I like a little bit about this. I like sort of that you see that you, when you go through a door, it's like third person. Um, you're playing again against dinosaurs as opposed to zombies. And but um, you know, great story. It's unfortunate that the fran- that the franchise went completely downhill. Um, it, I mean, literally, it just goes straight downhill because Dino Crisis One is amazing. Dino Crisis Two is okay, and Dino Crisis Three we should never talk about. Um, yeah, Dino Crisis Three. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it's right in line. I mean, if you if you like Resident Evil. Um, and then you're going to love Dino Crisis. And this is one fans have been clamoring for as they've been remaking, um, you know, like the Re- Resident Evil 2 and and 3 and everything like that. Um, the other two games that everyone's sort of de- demanding uh, that they that Capcom remake would, is Dino Crisis and uh, Code Veronica. Um, but there's been no real sort of news or update on it, uh, which is unfortunate because I think I think a Dino Crisis remake using the engine right of like the new Resident Evil two and three would be absolutely amazing. Think of how dark, absolutely, and, yeah, and and scary you could you could make that game. Yeah, it would be a bit more like it would totally be frightening, but. You know, the enhanced game engine and having, like, dinosaurs jump out at you and stuff like that, it would be, oh, my God, like, pedal to the metal, man. Jesus Christ. It would be, like, like high-octane, like, stakes are high. It, it, like, blood would be pumping, let me tell you. Um, and I'm also really – I think it's cool you brought up Code Veronica because I, I – think it's because of the development of Dino Crisis. That's definitely the reason I think Code Veronica turned out the way it was. Especially in the sense that Code Veronica I think was the first fully 3D Resident mm-hmm. Evil, I think. So, yeah. Comes full circle, basically, at that point. Now, I'm gonna... Obviously, the people who are listening can't see this, but I'm going to attempt to... Let me see here. Um... Just since we're in the chat, I'm wondering if on Skype if I can show you. Okay, so I I, I think I just sent you a pic. I'm sent you a picture in the chat here, um, and it's a side by side comparison. And yeah, it's really interesting that just the way some of the lighting works on the PlayStation One version as opposed oh, to the whoa. Dreamcast. Like the Dreamcast is definitely sharper. You can tell it's obviously yes. at a higher resolution, but it's the way the lighting works on the PlayStation One where it is a little more pixelated. It just makes the game feel sort of darker and more atmospheric. It does. Yeah, it's it's very noticeable, actually. Hands down. And, and I think um, you need that right. in, in a survival horror game, and especially a, a game like this. I mean, that adds to the fear factor right there. Yeah. So, yeah, if, oh, you, yeah. Yeah, if you can grab the PlayStation 1 version um do it but if you if you have to just play the dreamcast version uh i think you're think you're okay there as well so awesome yeah dino crisis classic obviously so um okay so my i guess from my number six here um so my number six is a game i don't think i've actually talked about on the podcast but i did do a full uh review of it on my youtube channel super games bros uh, a few 
uh, which used to be box trick, but I changed it to Super Games Pro, so it makes it a lot easier um, to come up and search. Um, I, in that, I did review this game uh, a few weeks ago, Gundam Battle Assault 2. Oh, man! Yeah. Yeah. So Gundam Battle Assault 2, um, it just, it's, a two it's a 2D fighting game. Um, you know, it has characters from the G Gundam anime series, Gundam Wing, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, and then, you know, just some sort of sporadic ones outside of that. But at this time, Gundam was pretty big, like on Toonami. I remember watching Gundam Wing and G Gundam. Um, and my God, do I love this game. I think it's I think it's a game that I actually, you know, I've, my argument for this game um, is that even if you are not a fan of Gundam, Right. Like I think so often with any sort of licensed property, sometimes people just immediately dismiss it because they're not familiar with that franchise. Um, and so I would argue that anybody who's sort of a hardcore Street Fighter, Guilty Gear, any big fan of a 2D fighting game, you should give this a shot because there's a lot of really cool mechanics in this um, that I've really only seen in this type of a 2D fighter. Um so, uh, you know, you have, I think there's like 12 stages. The soundtrack is insane. It is hands down one of the best soundtracks I've ever listened to ever in any game I've ever played. It, this, this soundtrack is, is like outrageously good. The guitar work is like, I mean, it's like Joe Satriani is 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 like wrote this sound yeah i could believe i mean it's insane like um some of the guitar work in some of these stages but through the roof but it's 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 bright it's colorful it uses actually sort of it's actually uses it's like almost like a 2.5d game it's not really so much sprites as like you saw with like street fighter and some like dark stalkers and some of those other games that came out like there were still a lot of sort of um like just 2d fighters on the playstation like you like look at marvel versus capcom and stuff like that this is actually sort of like 3d-esque i guess uh characters um but you i think there's there's a hand there's a lot of characters you can get in this i don't know what the, what the total count is but it's certainly over 30 um and they all play pretty differently you get three super moves you can do at any time you have an ammo gauge which is kind of interesting because some gundams are more mo are more um uh physical based right like more melee types and some are more gun types and so you have that to kind of manage you have a boost meter so you can fly up into the air you can um some of the bigger slower gundams can use that as a shield since they don't have that that you they don't use the boost gauge as much so like it is really a game where i think there's a lot of uh, well, I shouldn't say balance, because uh, there are definitely a handful of characters who are just OP as all get out. Like Wing Zero from Gundam Wing is probably the most powerful Gundam in the game. I mean, he he has like a handful of moves which are just almost impossible to defend against. But uh, yeah, I mean, if I think fans of any sort of like two D fighting games should should check this out. It's great. There was a, there was another Gundam Battle Assault that came before it. Um, after that, it sort of moves into a three D plane, almost kind of like a Power Stone. Um, but so this one for me, I think is that sweet spot of, of Gundam fighting games. I love Gundam wing. Yeah. That show is great. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand it when I was a kid, of course, because how the hell is any kid supposed to understand that show? But going back and rewatching it, the, uh, the, the, the political turmoil. Oh, it's, 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 it's ridiculously complex. 
The Gundam Wing story is like ridiculous complex. I was definitely I love Gundam Wing. I also love G Gundam, which is a totally different take uh, on on Gundam. And that game, that show is like just over the top ridiculous. I think the original series is on Netflix, mm-hmm, probably. Uh, you have to watch it with subtitles. But I, I think uh, Gundam I mean, Wing is on Hulu, uh, dubbed. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Gundam Wing is on. I watched it on Hulu at least a, a few few years ago. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's still there. So I, I <sighs> the dub of that. <laughs> there are some parts of that show that I just have to it's, it's to bad. laugh at. Yeah, unfortunately, the is, the is not, yeah, uh, just like just some of the things that Hero says, <laughs> like the how boldly he says some of kind of just like, aren't you supposed to be a high school student? <laughs> I just think to myself. But, oh, man. Um, okay, so you, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, yeah, yeah. Gundam 8th MS Team, uh, the Gun- Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zero, uh, Seed Remaster are on, and U- uh, Unicorn are currently on Hulu. Um, real quick, what, who's your favorite Gundam? Ever? If you could pick one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I almost have to pick for series. In Gundam Wing, it's Heavy Arms by far. Um, oh, probably course. close. Probably choice. close to my favorite Gundam ever. In G Gundam, I definitely. I mean, Burning Gundam. Uh, uh, did you ever watch G Gundam? No, I only watched. Oh my week. god, you have to watch it. It's it's like it, you. They're not even close. Like G Gun. There's a couple of series that I do want to watch as far as that franchise goes. Yeah. There's there's definitely a few others I want to get. Yeah. So G Gundam is by far the most. I think it's the most different of everything else because it's far less about like political turmoil and any of that stuff. G Gundam is they, um, it's like its own. It exists outside of like the main Gundam universe. Um, which a lot of them are sort of connected to. But, like, Gundam Wing is its own thing. I know that. And then G Gundam is its, it's, its own thing. So in G Gundam, um, it's kind of like all of the nations have Gundam battles, almost like it's like the Olympics, and the winner gets to be, like, the ruler of the world, essentially. And so whichever nation's Gundam wins the Gundam tournament, like, they're now, like, the leader of the UN is the way it kind of is the way it kind of works. Um, but so the, the people actually fight, like they're in almost like a Pacific Rim, um, all the Pacific Rim, you know, copied it off Gundam, G Gundam. Um, so like they actually fight inside of the suit, like they're like martial arts. Oh, okay. So like they move and And like the suit, the suit. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, and it's, it's absurd. I mean, it's freaking ridiculous. Okay. Like, um, Rose Gundam, who's the Gundam from France, has like a butler, and he has his own Gundam, and it's a butler. And then like the Mexican Gundam has like a sombrero, and the Canadian Gundam's a lumberjack, and like the Egyptian Gundam's like a mummy. It's like it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like it is so over the top and so absurd. Well. That's certainly a sign of the times. It's so different. Yeah, and, like, the Russian Gundam was, like, in a gulag. It's, like, so absurd. It's, like... Oh, my it's God. It's so, like... It, it would, it's so ridiculous. It is so absurd. I love Sandrock. Yeah. Sandrock was probably my favorite Oh, and Gundam, Gundam Wing. Yeah, yeah. Sandrock's awesome. Yeah, Death Scythe. All of the... All of the... All of the even the mobile suits that aren't Gundams in Gundam Wing. They're all really... Tall yeah, yeah. Geese, I, I always Epion, love, too, the... the yeah. 
Yeah, I always loved the foot soldiers too that followed Sandrock around as well in the Middle East. I loved their design; they were so cool. Yeah, they were great too. And then like some of the other ones that get added in Gundam Wing. Yeah, Gundam Wing is great. And then they look even more awesome in the uh, the sort of movie, uh, the the uh, Endless Waltz, where they redid where they redid all the designs. Like Wing Zero gets the wings and stuff like that. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, Adam. What's your number six, man? Okay, moving on from uh, Dino Crisis, we're going to keep that flavor going. Resident Evil 2, baby. I can't say anything that hasn't been said about this uh, game already. It's my favorite Resident Evil. Uh, for a while, this was my favorite game ever. Um, my honest opinion, uh, this game... You know, Resident, the original Resident Evil had its following, but in my opinion, if you had to ask me, Resident Evil 2 was strongly responsible for getting this series into the mainstream. You know, it kind of like stuck its foot in the door, and it's like, don't forget about me just yet. And it took everything that was good about the first one, and it just supercharged it. Things started changing very, very quickly once Resident Evil 2 came into the picture. Uh, in my opinion, you know, it's take the events of the first game after the mansion is destroyed, the T virus is spread to Raccoon City, turning everyone into zombies. You could play as Leon Kennedy, the new rookie cop in the RPD, or Claire Redfield. She's new in town and she's looking for her brother, Chris Redfield. Dun dun dun! So now you have your link between uh, the first two games there. Uh, you know, you traverse through the police station, you go into the sewers, and you find the secret Umbrella Lab underground underneath Raccoon City. Um, you're trying to you know, save people. You're trying to uncover uh, the conspiracy. Um, you know, you could do Leon's scenario into uh, Claire's or vice versa. It adds some real replay value uh, either way, so that's a cool part. Um, this game had the addition of the battle mode after you complete the game. So the battle mode is basically, um, you can play as one of four characters. You can play as Leon, Claire, uh, Ada Wong, who's in the story, and you can unlock Chris uh, from the first game. And the idea is, um, you start at a random point uh, in the game, and you have to traverse the map and find these bombs, and plant them, I believe, in the police station basically. Um, I forget if you're timed, but that's just the goal of the game. Do it. Don't die. And um, I'll complete the mission. Uh, the other fun mini game is the uh, Hunk game. Uh, you could play as Umbrella Special Agent Hunk, who um, he's one of the several people in the cutscenes where William Birkin attacks the guys in the SWAT suits uh, in the lab. And he has the last surviving sample of the newly created G-Virus. So you have to fight your way out of the sewer into the police station and get to the top of the police station to the helipad. And uh, you're extracting the G-Virus. You are timed in that. And there's an alternate version of this minigame where you don't play as Hunk. And I don't know why they did this. But you can play as a giant piece of tofu. Yeah. You're a giant block of tofu. And you're only armed with a knife as the tofu. 
So consider that the uh, extreme hard mode, I guess, uh, basically. Um, it, Resident Evil 2 had better voice acting. It had uh, 3D, full-on 3D cutscenes. Um, to be honest, the scene where you meet Ben in the uh, jail cells in the basement and you hear William Birkin scream out in the background, uh, that scene still um, makes me crap my pants to this day. <laughs> to be honest, it's uh, re- it's got uh, really good suspense and really good build-up. Uh, I gotta say, um, this is a game I know uh, backwards and forwards. It's also got the fun link where it's like, you realize that Resident Evil 2 takes place after Resident Evil 3 by a few hours. And to really confirm that is if you start the game... Um, and get to the police station without um, picking up any items. Without picking up any items at all. If you go to the underground staircase to get to the police station, you find Brad zombified after Nemesis kills him. And he's kind of overpowered, but if you kill him, you get a special key to unlock special costumes, actually. So that's cool. But obviously, if you play Resident Evil 2 first and you do that, you don't know who this is. You don't know who Brad is. But you put that together once uh, 3 came out, though. So mm-hmm. so that that's fun. That's fun. I mean, I, I like all the characters. Um, I like how you start to realize there's a lot more going on here than just some uh, virus leak. Everyone's trying to get their hands in the pot. Uh, the head of the police, Brian Irons, is... Um, He's a dirty cop who tried to hide the Umbrella Conspiracy. Ada wants, um, you know, she's got her own hand in this as well. Uh, basically, it's, I love it. I I, um, I love the settings it brings you to. It's, it's you know, the remake was done very, very in very good taste. Um, but I think the original still holds up very well, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Resident Evil 2. Yeah, and you know, um, just because I, I, I'm, you know, a fan of all of these, I'm like a video file, right? Um, so there's Resident Evil 2, right? And I know that we're talking about this on the, on the PlayStation 1, and Adam did a way better job of describing what makes this game so great than I ever could, because I'm not, I haven't played it as much, but... Oh, you're too kind, you're too kind. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, there are four different versions of the original, I guess five if you include the computer, but I... I'm more familiar with it. There's four versions of the original Resident Evil 2. It got ported, actually. It didn't get remade until recently. Um, so there's the PlayStation version, which, again, as I look here, might be the best one, man. The It's just the, the something about the pixelation of it on the PlayStation, I think, just adds at- atmosphere and darkness to it. Because then there was an N64 port of it, which is like insane that that game exists it is outrageous because um it's i'm trying to remember i can't remember if it's if it's emulate emulating it is an issue or i think capturing footage of it is an issue i know that for sure because one of the things they did was um the resolution jumps all over the place in the in the n64 version 
Um, and some of that has to do with the compression of video files and then certain rooms and stuff like that. So it's constantly jumping back and forth to different resolutions and scaling. And so it can actually make it a, it can actually make it difficult to uh, capture footage because a lot of capture cards are set to like a specific resolution. And if it starts jumping around, it can cause them to freak out. Um, obviously, the PlayStation version to the N64 version. Um, the N64 version looks like most uh, N64 versions of PlayStation games, which are typically things are a little bit more flat, if that makes sense. Um, typically, you'll have sort of like there's usually the N64 has better um, like resolution on a lot of flat surfaces. The resolution is usually higher than its PlayStation counterpart, but the N64 really struggles with sort of dynamic lighting. Um, I, I would say, and again, that's the situation here. Then there's the Dreamcast version, which is kind of like what we have in Dino Crisis, where higher resolution, the lighting, and probably just because it's a port, and so they just upscale the resolution and, and get it out there. Mm. Um, they're not really going through and redoing it. Um, same thing as sort of Dino Crisis, higher resolution, but the lighting, I think because of the lack of pixelation that you have on the PlayStation, can cause it to sort of, I think, look less sort of scary. Um and again, this is viewing it through what I think is probably emulators where things are cleaned up and it's you know high pressed 1080p and all of that stuff. So really would need to view it on TVs, same monitor with scan lines. Then you have the GameCube version, which is the Dreamcast version. But for whatever reason, they went in and just turned the brightness like all the way down. So that version is actually pretty cool, to be honest, because it sort of has the higher resolution of the Dreamcast but has has the it, it's a little more atmospheric but it's not the same as the PlayStation 1 and that the PlayStation 1 because of the pixelation and the actual lighting that's sort of cast um in it even though it is sort of like pre-rendered backgrounds it just seems like somebody just turned the brightness out on the TV so if you're going to play it the old way again PlayStation 1 might be your way to go you know i think the GameCube version might be the most expensive I'm sure to I'm get sure it probably to, is I'm, I'm sure it is let's see here Resident Evil uh, I've seen it for crazy prices two. and I got my Resident Evil 2 back for a very cheap price when I got yeah, it what, 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 you just have it for you just have it for um... I have the PS1 version okay well a brand new complete in box version of uh, you know sealed a sealed Resident Evil 2 cost $11,000 um so <laughs> um man <laughs> jesus christ yeah, of course I got, of course there's, there's, o- there's only that for the ps1 for like 15 right like... yeah so you're looking at around a, it looks like you could be looking anywhere from 60 to 100 dollars um for resident evil 2 on the gamecube that's still that's pretty high yeah, yeah. So, Jesus. yeah, pretty interesting. Okay. Um, well, um, get... we'll keep going here. Actually, I'll toss it back to you because I already yeah. did my number five, which was SmackDown 2. So we'll go to your number five. Oh, this is a treat for me. Um, without revealing it first, I'm going to say um, Ideos in the 90s. Oh, I, know. I, already know where, I already know where you're going. We're having a freaking field day, <laughs> man. They were pumping out so many great titles like – 
Soul Reaver, Ninja Shadow of Darkness, as I mentioned, Fighting Forces we talked about. Can I guess? You had the Gex games. Can I, can, well, I don't, if you want to reveal. Go ahead. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Want. You can guess. Well, only you because you guess. said it's IDOS. Yeah. I would have to say that you're going with Tomb Raider 2. Oh, you are so freaking close, Dang man. It. Tomb Raider 3, actually. Okay. All right. The third one, yeah, they were all great. But the third, yeah. They are. They are. The all second great. one, they yeah. Are. The, se- the um, second one, I think, is sort of the one that everyone views. I think that's the sort of the first one. But the third one added a lot of stuff. The beach levels, did, but- so the first thing I think of, where you get like that, you can. A lot of the stuff that everybody was like trying to figure out secrets of in the second one, they added into the third one. Yeah, um, two story is just so cool. Um, in, in the fact that you have like this. Um, these Italian cultists that want this ancient Chinese dagger because it's like if you impel yourself with the dagger, you become like this dragon. And like, I just think that is so freaking cool. Like, oh my God. But Tomb Raider 3, it's like, oh man, like, where is, like, the first two Tomb Raiders are so, so good. And again, this is a game that took everything that was good about those games, in my opinion. And again, it amplified it. Um, you start the the worlds you go to like you you start in India in the jungles of India, um, you go to the Nevada desert like to Area Fifty One I believe, mm-hmm. uh, streets of London, which I think is a cool callback to two because in two you're in like the streets of Venice at one point earlier yes. in the game. Uh, you go to the South Pacific, um, which is the beach levels that you were uh, talking about. Don't you get a pen? And uh, I think you can pick, can't you, where you go? Yeah, so after you get out of India, you can pick the order of where you want to go, of of which routes you want to take first. I don't think it has severe impact on the game. It's just like, okay, you're just going to go to that area first, just depending on what you pick. Um, and then there's Antarctica, um, which I think actually you have to do Antarctica last because that's where the game ends. Uh, you're trying to find, um, well, in the beginning, you're trying to find what's called the Enfada Stone, and uh, you learn from a character, Dr. Willard, uh, long ago, ancient Polynesians came across a meteorite in Antarctica that held uh, great power, and they forged four artifacts out of it, uh, one being the Enfada Stone, and now you're tracked with finding uh, the other ones, which is why you have to go to the Nevada Desert, uh, London, and South Pacific, and um, you start finding out pretty disturbing things, like uh, when you get to London, you find out that this CEO of a makeup company, um, she's torturing and performing sick experiments on her employees and stuff, and kind of like dumping them in the underground like sewers of London. And she's trying to basically, because she, had, I think she had uh, one of the artifacts basically, and she's trying to basically find a path to immortality and um, uh, eternal youth, basically. Like, you want to look, like, forever young. And um, Dr. Willard knows this as well, and you find out uh, just as well about him. Uh, He's conducting sick experiments and creating, like, horrible mutations and stuff like that, which eventually, at the end, he becomes, like, this weird giant, like, hybrid centaur spider creature thing it was just just freaky looking man but oh my god 
the levels were so fun. The uh, they gave us way more weapons in this game. Um, it had you could like ride ATVs. Right, I I definitely remember that. Cause yeah, um, you could ride ATVs. Um, you know they kind of. And again, too, it's kind of like, you know, there's there's cannibalism, there's uh, dinosaurs, just like in every Tomb Raider game, actually. You can counter dinosaurs in every single one of the original Tomb Raiders. Um, I always remember being very stuck in the Nevada desert levels because in the second level you kind of get like caught by the army and they right. stick you in like a cell i i, I specifically and I rem- remember oh sorry sorry i specifically no no, no go I ahead specifically remember um like you're in the desert and a and a stealth bomber flies over yes that is one of like when that happened i was like awestruck because i just wasn't used to that kind of interaction while playing uh, a level you know, but by this point, you know, it's just, this is late 1998. You know, they're starting to really like developers are like starting to really have fun with the PS1's tech. And they're like, well, how can we really push this thing uh, to the limits? You know, and like every Tomb Raider game, you could run around uh, Lara Croft's mansion and, you know, lock the butler in the freezer and stuff like that. Um, I loved being a show off in this game. Like an incubator, I loved doing uh, handstands when you pull yourself up from a cliff, or doing a like a cool swan dive off a cliff as well. Um, I think my favorite levels in this game were probably the South Pacific mm-hmm. because it was so colorful. But then when you get into the jungles in the South Pacific, it's like it gets really like hard to see like what's dark going and on. foreboding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that adds a real challenge. The, I mean, the Tomb Raider games were extremely challenging as it was. You know, you, they were they were a real, like, thinking person's uh, action-adventure game, you know, because you had hidden secrets in the levels, too, and you could find, like, stuff as, like, a bonus. Um, fun weapons, too. You could even get a harpoon gun to mm-hmm. go underwater. Because in the last Tomb Raider games... Um, it was kind of hard to defend yourself underwater for the most part, but uh, Tomb Raider three had a harpoon. I think two had it as well, but uh, I really, really remember it. Uh, them emphasizing it in three, so uh, that was cool. Yeah, I, I, uh, I love Tomb Raider three, but uh, the only thing I, uh, um, I just always felt like the ending was a bit abrupt mm-hmm. after you beat it because she just. Um, she just gets in a helicopter and just like flies off. Yeah. Like, as opposed and as as, a, as opposed it, to but... I mean, those were they were those games were huge. I mean, they were all the first the the first ones like really rough. I I think the second one's probably the best, but then the fourth one's really cool too, where you're in like Egypt. Um, what is that? Last Revelation. Is that Last Revelation? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good one. I liked Last Revelation. Um. Some people didn't, but I thought it was good. To be honest, it's the one that came after Last Revelation that uh, was more of the, uh, the budget Chronicles. type. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I, think, I, didn't I think like the I third one is, if I were to go back and play one, that's probably where I'd go. Um, Is there anything that sticks out to you for uh, Tomb Raider 3? 
like that you remember? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for me it was just it was like the ATV because I remember it was one of the things where it's like a lot of the stuff we wanted to be able to do in Tomb Raider 2 like or like you know it's one of those things where it's like oh all of the secrets that we thought there were and stuff like that you could do in Tomb Raider 3 like the ATV like being able to ride it around at her house the mansion was a lot cooler um being able to jump between levels was awesome like I, that was like cuz mm-hmm. I remember remember being able to do that um I probably didn't play Tomb Raider 3 as much as I played Tomb Raider 2. I remember, like, my brother had it. Um, and I think some of the, they added some new weapons, because I'm pretty sure you get, like, a Desert Eagle, right, in Tomb Raider? Yeah, you get a Desert yeah. Eagle, you get an M16. Um, you probably get, like... Let's, let's, let's look this up. I, I'm trying to remember off the Yeah, I'm, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at gameplay footage, because it's, it's, it's been a while for me for Tomb Raider 3. Um... Okay, so oh, uh, we got Uzis. You get Uzis, yes. uh, a grenade launcher, um, an MP5, even. Oh, the, the rocket launcher. You get a rocket launcher. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, they and they yeah, added it, and they, it, yeah they it, it they added fun. stuff too. And they I added just... they added stuff too. Like in the Antarctica level, the water's too cold. Um, yes, that's true. Yeah, it takes your health down. Actually, yeah. Um, in uh, India, in the India levels, there's uh giant snakes mm-hmm. as well, sand. and they come out of like really dark areas. So. Yeah, cool. Hey, Tomb, Tomb Raider three. Um, okay, so I think we're on to my number four here, um, which is the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Um, again, because I played the second one a lot more on Dreamcast. So that's why I didn't get there, because I do prefer the second game more. Um, but Tony Hawk Pro Skater, the original, wow, I mean, changed gaming, uh, you know, like forever. Huge, massive, monumental game. Um, had never obviously played anything like it before. And other than the Skate franchise, I don't think anybody's even ever come close to touching the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series. Um, I would say that the first one um, is definitely it's one that i've i've obviously played a lot um and being able to go back and play it with the newer remake and remaster is like really fun revisiting those levels uh, i would say that my favorite in the franchise is still tony hawk underground for the playstation 2 so uh maybe we'll have to come back and do a top 10 playstation 2 game uh games list at uh, at, some, at some point so i can talk about that but um you know the first one didn't have manualing it didn't have a lot of the other stuff you can do but dear god i mean I remember just listening to Goldfinger Superman, uh, right, sk- skating around, getting the um, the officer, right, that you could unlock in this one. You get Spider-Man and Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, um, which, by the way, is still, I think, the second highest video game on Metacritic ever, uh, which is crazy. But um, the school, uh, and then for me, it was really that first skate park was where it was like me and my me and my cousin would just like – we would just play that over and over and over again, just trying to rack up the highest scores every time. I would use Bob Burnquist because uh, he could do a backflip and he had the you know the burn slide, and so we'd play the warehouse level. You you know you go down that main hill, and then I would just you build up your super, your special, you hit that half pipe ramp through the little room that they have there, and then grind all the way around to the wall uh, and just try to crank out the highest scores possible. You could use Tony Hawk, do the 900. Um, there was no creative player in the first game or creative park. 
but uh, tons and tons and tons of fun. And then you unlock Area 51. Hey, back on that. Uh, as sort of the secret level at, at the end. So tons and tons of fun. The original Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater. But if you're going to play today, I would just get the new the new sort of remake or remaster um, where they did Tony Hawk 1 and 2. Although, oddly enough, the first game has been remastered before. There was a PS1 remat- or PS3 remaster of it, which is not very good. Um, and then the second game actually had an Xbox version that was kind of unique to it. And then, obviously, it was part of the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remaster on the PlayStation 3, which is not very good. And then now it's part of the new one, which is freaking amazing. You can get it on Switch. You can play it at the go. Um, and it's absolutely phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, the original is worth going back, I think, and just sort of seeing where it all came from. Yeah, um, this game was... <sighs> yes. <sighs> Even if you didn't skateboard. Yeah. You loved this game. Like, this was a, a phenomenon. And then, you know, you kind of said earlier, dude, uh, I'm going to piggyback off you here. People tried to make their Pokemon games. People right. tried to make their Final Fantasy games. People tried to make their Tony Hawk games, dude. Mm-hmm. How many people jumped on the bandwagon with this? And, you know, we got Kelly Slater's uh, pro uh, uh, surfing and... Um, Dave Mira BMX. Uh, there was a Razor Scooter yes. game for Christ's sake at one point. Um, yeah. Right here, right I, here. If, the the top will, comment yeah. on the soundtrack: "New session, pause. Song select: Superman Resume." And I think that was it too. I think the demo, the fact that this was on a demo disc, and they had that song, Superman. And it's like it's just like out. If it weren't connected to Tony Hawk, it would just be sort of like yeah, it's an okay song, right? But because it's connected to Tony Hawk, it's like that's the first thing people think of when they hear that song is Tony Hawk. And it's just like ingrained and it's done wonders for both that song and Tony Hawk. It's like that's what killed the the PlayStation 3 remasters. It didn't have this song. And that's what made the the new one is it had the it had the soundtracks from both games the exact same soundtrack. And it was just it was it, yeah, it, it, it just it it's like this definitely. one song. Right. Just fits the game so well like the rest of the soundtrack is okay um i think the second one probably has a better soundtrack overall in comparison to the first game but the second one doesn't have superman so doesn't i can get you know gotta say that you know um this game along with other skateboarding games these were largely responsible for um shaping my um musical tastes you know, uh, you know, you mentioned Goldfinger's uh, Superman. Uh, you had Suicide Machine, uh, New Girl. Um, yeah, I, I, this was my foray into, you know, like punk music and 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 metal. Um, if I wasn't using Tony Hawk in this game, I was, I think I was using um, Geoff Raleigh mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. Uh, as well i loved the school level i like that canyon level where it's just like you're just going down the canyon and throughout it you could just catch some half pipes along the way before you reach the bottom i always thought that was uh pretty fun uh, you had um this game is how i you know i heard dead kennedy's uh police truck mm-hmm. and yep. that intro like when i first heard that intro like i kind of like dropped my controller just listening to that I I was I was on board. I was uh totally on board. Uh I didn't skateboard at the time, but it was 
responsible for me to, uh, begging my parents for a skateboard. Yeah. When I was uh, when I was a kid, uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, this game was a phenomenon. This game was some more something else. Uh, it was developed by NeverSoft, mm-hmm. um, which is the same uh, developer that made uh, Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. They also uh, made again, the Spider-Man the PS1 game. game, which is why Spider-Man shows up in uh, in Tony Hawk Two. That's right. That's that is correct. And two had uh, Skate Heaven. Mm-hmm. You could unlock Skate Heaven, <laughs> and you hear God. Do you and, have like when you do you have either on your skate, list? Skate. Um. Uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater uh, was on my uh, honorable mentions, but none of them are on my, okay, uh, okay. my top ten. Okay, gotcha. But, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, the second one, if I had played it more on PS One, again, this is sort of our our journey. The second one would be over the over the, over the first one because I played that way more than the, than. I mean, I played the holy crap out of the first game, uh, but I played the second one like in infinitely in in infinitely more. But again, you can get it. I mean, you can get it now. I mean. If you're gonna play it, I mean, there wasn't. It was on the N64. It was on the Dreamcast as well. But if you're gonna play it, just go get the go get the new version. You can even get it on Switch. It's a, the new version is fantastic. Oh, this is funny too. Uh, I just happened to pull up some notes right here, and it's listed. Um, the soundtrack has been noted as an influence on millennials. Yeah, Dude. no doubt. Can't argue 100%. there. <laughs> just, I just just thought about yeah. that. Um and uh the N64 version's got the cool uh blue cart. I always yes. thought that was fun. Yep. Yeah, there are but, yeah, there are hand, yeah. handful of games that have that blue cart. So um okay, Adam, what's your number 4, man? Number 4, uh we're going to go into the uh vehicular combat mm-hmm. variety and I'm going to go with Vigilante 8. Ooh, I remember this. Um yeah, so we're seeing it everywhere. This this in my opinion was the true uh rival uh to Twisted Metal. Um, you know, car combat, vehicular combat, that was a thing of the 90s, man. You know, it's just not a thing people are um, really into anymore. It's just a sign of the times. What I loved about this game, uh, it has something that Twisted Metal didn't have. Uh, it was destructive uh, environments. Uh, but like Twisted Metal, it had colorful characters too, and um, it had cool cars, cool made-up cars like the Rattler and the 75 uh, Palomino, uh, set in an alternate 1970s in the western U.S. uh, during the oil crisis, which actually did happen in the 1970s. Fun history fact there, but I'm sure a lot of us know that. Uh, Company Omar, an oil uh, conglomerate, wants to put a monopoly on whatever remains, and they hire terrorist Sid Byrne and his group known as the Coyotes to raid and eliminate the competition. Convoy, a truck driver who is tired of being ransacked all the time, creates a group known as the Vigilantes to combat uh, the Coyotes. So like any car combat game, you know, you go to the level, you have to eliminate uh, your enemies uh, in the level. But what's also fun about this game is you have an objective to complete also in the level other than destroying your enemies. So it usually depends on what team you're playing for. If you're a vigilante, you most likely have to protect something in the level. Whereas if you're playing as one of the coyotes, you have to des- destroy something in the level along with your enemies as well. Um, like, if I'm a vigilante and I'm playing in a certain level, I have to destroy all my enemies, but I can't let them destroy a gas station. 
or I, I could be a, a coyote and playing in a certain level, and it's like I have to destroy my enemies, but it's like I also have to destroy an oil rig as well, uh, basically. Um, it's apparently, this game is apparently the successor to a PC game called Interstate 76. Hmm. I don't know Never much about it. it. Yeah. Uh, um, I just know it's a car combat game that takes place in the 70s as well. Uh, you get your weapon pickups too, like in any vehicle combat game. Uh, but you also get upgrades you can pick up, like a shield, uh, a damage multiplier, and a jammer that makes it harder uh, for enemies to uh, hit you. Um, favorite characters for me um, in this game are Houston 3 and uh, Secret Agent Casey Blue. You could also unlock an alien. Because uh, UFOs are also a theme in this game. And you can unlock an alien and you fly around nice. in a UFO. And it is so cool. Really cool soundtrack. You know, it's not licensed music. You know, it's specifically, you know, composed for the game. Cool, like, 70s style, like, hard rock, classic metal. More, And there's, like, atmospheric, um, symphonic um, tracks, too. Disco, even again, seventies. You got it. You got to get the disco uh, in there. Um, yeah, the destructible environments is really fun because also certain things can, like, if you blow up an oil tank and an enemy's nearby, it's going to damage them as well. So that's cool. There's an airfield level, and there's a section you can go to to get weapon pickups. But if you stay around too long, a plane can come over and bomb you, actually, and just send you flying. It was very well thought out. It played very well. Um, it had a sequel, uh, Vigilante 8 Second Offense. Uh, you know, it had recurring characters. It had added new characters. It had added power-ups, like you could turn your car into a hover car and stuff like that. Um, you know, this game wasn't... You know, like I said, it's it was a rival to Twisted Metal, but it didn't beat out Twisted Metal in its popularity. But this game has a nice cult following, I'd say. Um, so yeah, I, I love Vigilante 8, and I uh, I got my copy back. I love it. You know, this is one of those games um, where it's like, you. I as soon as you said it, I, and I look at the box art, I'm like, it's one of those games where it's like, man, I remember seeing that everywhere. Yeah, it's got the bus mm -hmm. on the cover. Mm -hmm. Um you know, uh, fun fact, too, because I know you're such a Star Wars buff, uh, the guys that made this game made uh, Star Wars Demolition, Demolition oh, okay. actually. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty unfamiliar with it, uh, but, uh, yeah, looking at it here, uh, I see some guy, I'm watching a video of some guy in, like, a, uh, it looks like a Ford Bronco, and he's got, like, a rocket launcher on the top of his car, and he's just wrecking people. It looks good uh, for the time. I mean, it looks, it looks really good actually yeah yeah it was a solid game definitely yeah okay well um all right man uh keep it rolling here my number three as we're getting to our top three here so uh this is uh i still have two more rpgs to go um as we as we move up here so number three for me is final fantasy nine yeah. So, All right. Yeah. Do you have Final <laughs> Fantasy IX on your list? No, but you know what? I guess while we're on the topic of it, I should have added it to uh, an honorable mention. Final Fantasy IX is great. I never beat it, but I love yes. it. Yes. It was such a good yeah, game. Yeah, so nine is – I actually spent I, 
I mean, over the years, seven, I think I spent more more time with, but nine is just always has such a special place in my heart because I got Final uh, got Final Fantasy seven, um, and I've mentioned this before, like my house burnt down. Um, and so then I lost a lot of games. One of those I lost was Final Fantasy VII. So when you know we built our new house and everything, we started um, started building back up some of my video games collections. Well, Final Fantasy VII was now a few years old, so you couldn't find it in stores. So Final Fantasy IX was coming out, and I got it for my birthday. And wow, talk about a grand um, adventure. Um, Final Fantasy IX is sort of, um, it was really, it was the last game that the majority of the main Final Fantasy cast, including um, uh, Nobu Umetsu and, um, I always forget his first name, but Sakaguchi, um, worked on. It was sort of the, the last big Final Fantasy that they'd worked on, and they worked on everything beforehand. So it's actually a tribute to the whole series. Um, it returns to the four-player teams as opposed to the three-player teams that had been introduced in Final Fantasy VII and uh, Final Fantasy VIII. You, it brings back uh, Choke... Uh, well, Chocobos were in both uh, in, in those other games, but it really brings them back sort of in a more traditional sense. Brings back Moogles, brings back the idea of like a crystal. You have to go um, ser- uh, you know, search for... Um, it brings back more traditional character classes, which seven and eight sort of go away from, um, where you can kind of really build characters however you want in those. Um, and then you have the materia system, obviously in seven, you have the seed system and the draw system in, um, Final Fantasy eight. So Final Fantasy nine brings back sort of those true character types, mage, warriors, thieves, uh, summoners, you know, like white mage, all of, all of that, all of that type of uh, thing. Uh, it's a four disc, huge adventure, great soundtrack. Yeah. Um, it, it features music throughout the entire series. Features, uh, you know, character names um, and everything. It's a grand, huge, sweeping adventure that's just sort of, sort of. Um, it's not, it's, it's not as serious, I guess, as as seven and eight made it. Where seven and eight tried to make it a little more like modern, realistic. Um, we're going back to that sort of medieval fantasy. Um, setting uh your the world the world itself all of the characters you know the, let me say here the world itself feels much more even even just in the in the fantasy setting it feels more final fantasy whereas again seven and eight try to make it a little more realistic um whereas this even in its world just it feels more fantasy like uh i guess i should say you still have some big cities you'll go to and and, and stuff like that but um, even just in the way it's designed, you can tell it almost has a little bit more of a story book in the in the art design, even though the art design is is further much further ahead of seven and eight. Um, still using pre-rendered backgrounds, all of that um, characters, 3D models running around on 2D planes, as is the case with just about any RPG on the PlayStation Two or PlayStation. Excuse me. Um, the ca- the cast of characters, they're just all sort of quirky and lovable. Um, Zidane and uh, you know Garnet or Dagger, uh, Vivi is like a series favorite, right? A black mage who's who's oh, who's under, who's coming to understand down. what it means to be a black mage that they were all sort of created, right? Um, and am I really a person? Steiner, who's always trying to do the right thing, who's always trying to like protect the princess, even though he has to realize that the princess has her own quest that she has to go on. And protecting the princess means you'll be going against the queen, right? Um, and so, which is more important, your loyalty to the crown or your loyalty to the princess? Like, even like small things there. Um, Freya is just absolutely amazing. Um, even Quinna, 
who, you know, is a character who you would think is just kind of boring, is by far the best character in the game. It's not even close. Um, her, His or her, actually, um, Blue Magic, is just absolutely outrageous. Uh, Frog Drop's like the best spell in the game. Uh, Armorant, uh, Ico, they're just, the whole cast is just, is just great. Even, even a lot of the side characters, like Beatrix is an absolute freaking monster. Um, and no matter how powerful you are, she'll still absolutely wreck you. Uh, the card game is infinitely, um, well, I shouldn't say it's infinitely better. The card game in eight is better. I should, I should take that back. Uh, I was going <laughs> to ask if you played the card game card in game nine, like nine. makes no sense. The card game in eight is way better. Um, but the, but the, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's an incorrect. People would slap me down for that. That's I was speaking a little too fast there. Um, there are less mini games in this, I would say as a pair, as opposed to like seven, um, but the chocobo sort of like treasure hunting, I think was it was def it was I definitely found it to be fun. Um, there's an insane amount of secrets. By far one of the hardest secret bosses in all of the entire Final Fantasy series. Um, yeah, it's I mean you could easily put 120 hours into it. Uh, there's tons of secrets to collect. It's 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 a masterpiece. It is just it is an absolute. Sort of, it's. I would never tell somebody to play Final Fantasy IX first, though, because I think you really only appreciate Final Fantasy IX. I mean, you could play as as first and be like, "This is a good game," but I feel like you would appreciate Final Fantasy IX that much more if you have played any of the games that preceded it. So I have to say, um, <laughs> you know, when I was much much younger, so way before this. Um, I knew what Final Fantasy was because uh, my uncle had an NES and he had the first two on the NES. Um, but I never really paid much more attention to the series other than that. When 9 came out, I remember the TV spots for that game and it greatly caught my attention. So if I could credit a game for making me more interested in Final Fantasy. It was nine. And not to mention the fact um, they were riding the wave of popularity at that point with the success of seven and eight. And they they redid... You had the movie. You had the movie coming out. uh, uh, You had the movie coming out. They had also ported um, Chrono Trigger and... Final Fantasy. I think they think they did. They did one. In, they did Final Fantasy one and two. They did Final Fantasy. I think. Oh God, I always forget what that one is. I gotta go look it up. Like, I think it's six anthology and Chrono Trigger. I think anthology is yeah. six. Yeah, I think there they, there was three. There was anthology. There was Origins anthology and is it just collection? I always forget. I just knew the first two you mentioned. Um. If there was another one, it definitely went under the radar for me. Mm-hmm. I got because one of them had Chrono Trigger. I think you're right. I think it was Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger, and then Final Fantasy One and Two. I know Origins was one and two. Let's see here. Final Fantasy and uh, so there was Final Fantasy Collection. Oh, that was Japan only exclusive. So Anthology. Um, included four and five. That's right. Origins was one and two, and Chronicles was six and Chrono. Or it was four, and uh, excuse me, 
they're different in different regions. Here we go. Final Fantasy Origins is 1 and 2. Final Fantasy Chronicles is 4 and Chrono Trigger. And Final Fantasy Anthology is 5 and 6. There we go. Okay. So yes, they are that's that is the that is that is the order. So then of course they were they were ported in tons of different places as well, but yeah. So I mean, yeah, they were you can get just about every Final Fantasy game on the PlayStation. You really could though. Absolutely. N- 9 I loved the way 9 looked. It it was a masterpiece and the full motion cutscenes uh were great. Um the scene of Alexandria uh, versus Bahamut is like glorious. They were all huge set pieces, right? Like Bahamut coming and the wings come over Alexandria, like the city. Oh, so yeah. great. Oh, so yeah. awesome. There's the the one scene that always stuck with me was the full motion scene where they're on the airship, but that evil. He's like a bigger uh, black mage, mm-hmm. and he's like following yep. them. He's like tailing them. That always black stood mage out to number me. Three. Uh, yeah, that always stood out to me for some reason. And there's always this sad scene where Vivi's watching the other like black mages like die and everything, and he's just like staring. And it's just so sad to watch that. Oh my god! Um, I never beat Final Fantasy IX. Uh, it's long. To show what a noob I am, I made it to the second disc, and I got stuck on the giant worm battle, which is relatively in the beginning yes. of. Disc two. Some of the bosses are that's hard where I in left that off. Game. That's not. I mean, it's so, and yeah, yeah. I never got past that. I never got past that. So, I, you know, I went back and played seven. See, at the time when nine came out, I actually did enjoy nine. I just didn't like seven. But I went back and played seven, beat it, fell in love with it. I always loved nine. I got to make it a point to go back and play. The best way to get these games. At, on the more affordable rate for the PS1 is to get the greatest hits right. version. I know a lot of people hate that green spine, but it's like, oh yeah, guys. I don't well, care. and yeah, it's the, like, yeah, and at this point, Final Fantasy Nine can get on Steam. I think you can get on Android. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, on so that, its value yeah. is it's got to be diminished to yeah. a degree since it's on so many different platforms at this point. So yeah, yeah you can get it on PS3, you know, and download it that way. But if you can get it on PS4, you can get it on Switch. I have it on Switch. I have seven, eight, and nine on Switch. Um, and there's a lot of cool things you can do it. Like you can speed the game up. If you want to like give yourself a bunch of money, you can right on the fly. So, um, cause I don't even mind if people do that. I don't even mind if people want to cheat their way through Final Fantasy nine. Cause you're there for the story. Oh, absolutely. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day, especially for a game like Final Fantasy. Mm. So, all right, Adam. Hey man, absolutely. what is your number three? My number three is twisted metal three. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, a lot of people are going to hate me for this because majority consensus think it's only cool to like Twisted Metal 1 and 2. But I love Twisted Metal. I love all the Twisted Metal games, for the record. But uh, Twisted Metal 3 was uh, the first Twisted Metal that I actually felt um, good at (laughs) for a change. Um, It was made by 989 Studios. Like just like Siphon Filter, because uh, Single Track, which developed the first two Twisted Metals, was bought out. I think by GT Interactive, but Twisted Metal was still considered a Sony property, so GT did not get ownership over it. Sony did, 
which is why when Sony Interactive became 989 Studios, the in-house developer made Twisted Metal 3 and 4. Uh, like any Twisted Metal or any car combat game like Vigilante 8, blow away your enemies in each level, defeat bosses like Minion, Darkseid returns since his appearance in Twisted Metal 1 and the new Prime Evil. You have to reach Calypso, who will grant you any wish. This game has the gag where Calypso basically screws over every contestant, so their prize blows up in their face, basically. So, like, for example, if you play as Outlaw, who's a cop, well, in Twisted Metal 3, Outlaw is, um, it's two cops. It's the brother and sister from the first two games, and, like, they want world peace, so basically that puts them out of a job. Um, Minion, who's a demon, he wants to spend the rest of his life in hell. So Calypso sends him to hell, Michigan, where it's, like, <laughs> always snowing. Uh, the levels, you have uh, Los Angeles, uh, Washington, D.C., Hangar 18, London, North Pole, Tokyo, which is my favorite level. It's Every Twisted Metal usually has, like, a rooftop level, and that's Tokyo. Uh, Egypt, and then Calypso's giant blimp. Um, you know, like, you get your weapon pickups, like, in any Twisted Metal, like, you know, fire missiles, homing missiles, um, power missiles, remote bombs. But certain levels have, like, these environment pickups, which was sort of introduced with, like, the lightning in Twisted Metal 2. Lightning's still in Twisted Metal 3. Um, but certain levels, like Hangar 18, there's a UFO in Hangar 18. And if you get to the top, you could pick up the UFO weapon. So if there's any character still on the ground, it sets off like this chain beam from the UFO that will kill anybody on the ground. Um, Egypt has this remote control beam called the eye. It's like, it looks like a pyramid and you set it on the ground and you draw enemies to you. So once they're by it, you detonate it and this beam shoots down at them, basically. And then in Tokyo, there's a radar dish that rotates around. So if you, yeah, so if you get the radar dish, again, if an enemy's by it and you detonate it, the radar's going to shoot a beam at your enemy as well. Um, The blimp, Calypso's blimp, has areas in it that you could fall out of, (laughs) basically. I always thought that was funny. Um, I always loved to use characters like Outlaw, Mr. Grimm. And Hammerhead, and in Twisted Metal 3, we had a new character named Augur, who is like this construction vehicle with a large drill in the front of him. Uh, I like to use him as well. Um, This would also lead to why Twisted Metal 4 ended up being the way it was, because Twisted Metal 4 introduced a lot of new characters in the series, and that's because of the way Twisted Metal 3 ends for every character, because everyone pretty much gets screwed. So you kind of making room for more characters, which I thought was fun. I thought I thought it was clever, um, but I think this game played the best out of this and four. I think played better than Twisted Metal one and two. I love Twisted Metal one and two. I thought they had really fun levels and great characters, of course. Um, but oh my god, it's the cars move so fast and you're sliding all over the place. I like. It was just always so hard for me to get like a gauge on my enemies and get the drop on them, really. But um, 
This was also the one I played the most of uh, as well. I had all the Twisted Metals as a kid, but um, my brothers and I just gravitated towards 3 the most for some reason. If not 3, probably 2. Um, but yeah, that's that's my I think three. 3 is the one. I really only played one of them, and I think 3 is the one I played because of the blimp. Sounds familiar. Um, and then I'm pretty sure I played as, is his name Axel? The guy with like the two wheels around him? Yeah, so Axel, Axel first appeared in two, but he wasn't right. three. So that's well. who I remember it's... playing as. Um, cause then it's, it's really, it's like, I know I played a Twisted Metal friend at, at a, a friend's house, but I'm trying to remember if it was three or four. Um, and then Twisted Metal 1 has Dragula in it, Rob, like Rob Zombie's Dragula, right? Oh, that's uh four. That's Twisted Metal four. Oh, so actually, maybe four. You so maybe, play... maybe I played yeah. more four than I did three. But I remember playing the blimp. Maybe I played both. Um, is there a blimp in four? No, no, there's not. No. Um, and in four, you could only play as Axel if you you have Lock to unlock him because he's a boss in four. Gotcha. Yeah. He... You probably played probably both, did. it sounds oh, Yeah, like, I, I probably me. did. It, it, it sounds familiar. But yeah, the Twisted Metal franchise was enormous. Again, another franchise, you know, they had Black, I think, which sort of seemed like it was maybe going to bring the whole series back. Um, I enjoyed Twisted Black, which was on the PS2. Um, it had a darker tone to it, which was cool. Um, now, I will say this. Um, Black's version of Sweet Tooth is the most psychotic, craziest thing you'll ever see. I will say, Twisted Metal 4, I think that's the most powerful version of Sweet Tooth we've ever seen. He is, it, it, his special in that is so... You don't want to get hit by it. It, like, it, it was the thing that like nightmares were made out mm-hmm. of. Oh my god. It, it was like this re- weird, crazy... like. You know, he's the ice cream truck, and he's got the, the, you know, head with the fireball on the top of it. And in 4, his special is, like, it's, like, three of those in, like, this chain attack, and it just, like, traps you, and it just does, like, this insane amount of damage that's just, it's so badly overpowered. It's it's overkill. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah, I need to go back. I need to go back and play it. Isn't there, like, a priest in Twisted Metal Black? Is there like a? There's a priest in Twisted Metal Black. There's a priest also. Um, is he a priest in Twisted Metal Two? There's a character in Twisted Metal Two that drives a hearse around, right. but I don't think he's a priest. But um, but yeah, it's uh, is it Brimstone? I think I'm right. I, I think, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. Yeah, he was a great character. I I loved Twisted Metal Black. It, it it was really good at reinventing itself. Yeah. So maybe I must I must have played both three and four, but I definitely remember playing in the blimp. So I know that I I because I think I played through it like we played through uh, the thing at a friend's house like the story. And I remember it ended it ended ended on a blimp. So I must have played through both, but I did, I didn't I unfortunately didn't put a ton of time into it. Um, I I guess the similar game that I kind of put a lot of time into was on the N sixty four Battle Tanks. That we that was oh that was okay. sort of what we were what we were playing. We were playing a lot of that. I remember Battle Tanks. I didn't play a lot of it, but I but I definitely remember it. But though. I think there was actually a PlayStation you know, version of that. Oh, let's let's look, let's look it up really quick. Hang on. Um, Battle Tanks. Yeah, Global Assault was on PS one, but I played it on N sixty four. See, that's how it goes. So, you know. 
if I had played Battle Tanks, if battle oh, yeah. if I if I had played Battle Tanks on PS One, I probably would have been on my list because I played the holy crap oh, yeah. out of that. So, um, all right, Twisted Metal is a great co op yeah. game too. Yeah, um, I'll just say that as well. But yeah, um, all right, man, here we go. Final two here. So my number two, I think, is probably pretty obvious if you're listening to this podcast because uh, this is where the inspiration came came from. Actually, it's in the second game, and well, technically the fourth game in the series. Even more so, technically, the, like, fifth game, if you include, you know, some games that weren't necessarily licensed by the creator, Hideo Kojima. Uh, But anyway, we're talking about the sort of third game canonically, which is Metal Gear Solid, which is probably the best game on the PlayStation. I mean, I, I think most lists would have Metal Gear Solid at number one as the best game on the PlayStation, as well as one of the greatest games ever created i mean where to even begin uh describing a game that was so far ahead of its time uh (laughs) i mean like both in story and in gameplay i mean the sheer things you could do you know you're playing a solid snake you're entering the secret uh you know facility shadow moses outside of alaska to shut down a nuclear Weapon known as Metal Gear, a bipedal robot which has the ability to launch a nuclear weapon from a railgun, which would make it an undetected nuclear device. It has been uh, taken over by an evil, you know, terrorist group, and you have to go in and shut it down. And along the way, you will uncover secrets about Solid Snake's past. Uh, as well as just to even try to begin to explain the Metal Gear Solid story, like in terms of any sort of actual complications and intricacies inside of it is just almost impossible. Unless we sit here for another four hours, me just going over the, the Metal Gear Solid story. <laughs> I think we need, we, we would need like yeah, it's, a lot more than it's, four yeah, hours. It's like 12 hours just to explain the Metal Gear Solid story. But, you know, the original game, um, I mean, everything about it was just revolutionary at the time. Um, you know, you start off and you and you go into you're in the little the seaport there at the in the bottom, uh, and immediately, wow, you're in this world where stealth is is the key. This game is all of it's stealth espionage action, um, sneaking around. If you step on a puddle, the enemies can hear you. Uh, it's cold outside cough you can smoke cigarettes to uncover laser trip wires uh when you take an elevator rise up right up to the top and uh if you walk through the snow enemies can see the footprints in the snow there's cameras you have to avoid um if you fire a gun it's going to make a lot of noise uh you could hide in cardboard boxes aka the box trick right um oh yeah title yeah, drop. <laughs> yeah exactly you have your codec you can constantly call your team for backup um, you know, just all all of the things you're going to do in, in, in the Metal Gear Solids in, in the Metal Gear Solid series, and along the way, is just one of the greatest adventures you'll ever have. Um, it's the game is it's like a, it, if you were to ever to describe what is a ten out of ten game, Metal Gear Solid could easily be the explanation for it. it is the, it is by far I think the grandest adventure you can have on the PlayStation um, with a story that with a story that deserves yeah. to be. You know, like uh, a movie deserves to be made made out of it, um, and it only gets bigger and better from there um, as you progress throughout the rest of the series. So, um, it's a game probably a lot of people have probably played or you're familiar with playing it. Any anything uh, and 
any of some of the other games in the series as it goes on to have games on the PlayStation 2 and 3 and 4 and everything. Um, it was remade. Um, the original version was remade on the GameCube, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes, which is another excellent way to play it. Um, but this, both of those are great. They're different. They're very different. Um, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes is a lot easier um, because you can it uses the same control scheme for Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, and it's like the same engine as Metal Gear Solid 2, so you can now fire in first person. Um, you get a tranquilizer gun, which you do not get in the original version. Um, but I think they're both worth playing, actually, if you're going to dive into the series. I think they're. it's hard to say that one is better than the other um, because they're really, to me, they're really different. They're, diff- they're just different experiences. The story's the same. Um, but I, I feel like the, the experience, the overall experience is just, it's just different. I agree with yeah. you a hundred percent on that. Definitely. So Adam, Metal Gear Solid, yeah, I'm sure you've, you know, you've played the original. So I will say it's not on my list. It's, uh, you know, I put it on my honorable mentions. I played the hell out of this game. Uh, this game for me, um, I was so young when I played it, but even I knew then I was just like, this is more of a cinematic experience than a game experience. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, and um, a lot of people uh, uh, were saying that. Jesus Christ. Um, you know, Twin Snakes, that's a good version in its own right, but man, I just think the voice acting for the original is great. better. Yes. I agree. So I, I think I think for that alone, that is how you're gonna get this uh, immersive experience. Crazy Story. Yeah. characters <laughs> like Psycho Mantis, of course. Um, you know, Vulcan Raven running around in the cold. Um, you know, after you play um, Phantom Pain. And you see Revolver Ocelot in the way he is in Phantom Pain. And then you see the way he is in Metal Gear Solid. In the first Metal Gear Solid, you wonder, what the hell happened to this well, you guy? Play Metal- you- Jesus Christ. You play Metal Gear Solid 4 and you'll find out. <laughs> it's like, you know. It is. He- and he's the biggest wild yeah. card of of this whole uh, freaking franchise. This gun. Is the best gun ever. Oh my god. Um Gray Fox's original voice acting in this was was so so freaking good. You know, the deep voice, everything. It was deep, it was raspy. He sounded like a monster, mm-hmm. uh, basically. Uh I like the fact that you have to be mindful of which card box which cardboard box you hide in and in what area you're using it in. You have to be very mindful of that, actually. Um, yeah. Uh, let me think here. I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to think of like my favorite moment of this game, maybe. Might be Psychomantis when... battle where you have to change controllers because he can read your when he when he reads what's on your yeah when he reads like, what's on your memory card that... is just outrageous. As a kid, that was insane. It, yeah, like it's crazy that you have to figure out how 
that you, it, that, yeah, it's crazy that you have to figure out that you have to switch your controller port. It's crazy that you have to really listen to Colonel Campbell when he's like, oh, Merrill's frequency is on the back of the package, and you realize he's talking about the game case, for Christ's sake. Like, you gotta flip over the game's case to find Merrill's codec crazy. code. Like, that was so clever. And then you had to put two and two together when you're locked in that damn cell, and you're trying to figure out, how am I going to get out of here? And then you have to figure out on your own, you have to play dead and use the ketchup bottle <laughs> that Otacon gave crazy. you. It's like, insane. You have this to, like, no pun no pun intended, but you, it forces you to think outside of the box, which is awesome. And it yep. gives you, and you have yep. options. You have tons of options. You can hide under the bed. You can use the ketchup bottle. I, you, there's so much stuff you can do. Yeah, I always did the ketchup bottle. To be honest, I didn't know about hiding under the bed till uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. it just now, actually. Um, which also creates one of the biggest gags in uh, the Metal Gear franchise ever, with uh, Johnny having to go to the bathroom, actually. Oh, my God. Um, I think my favorite uh, boss battle in this was probably, you know, I could easily say Psycho Mantis, but I'm going to say Sniper Wolf. On the account, um, this that was like the saddest experience for me uh, in a video game. So to know that a game kind of had that like uh, power over you was like was was compelling, really. Um, it, it's yeah, it's like you said, this this is a ten out of 10 oh, absolutely. Game. No, There's no, no contest, yes, no argument. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a top twenty five video game ever made. And there's the other cool part where you have to uh, change the temperature of the key card because it changes its shape. You know, when you're trying yes. to uh, – you think you're deactivating Metal Gear, but really you're, you're just being tricked by a liquid to activate it. So that that was um, that was pretty cool yeah. too, definitely. And, and, I, and I like the little thing at the end too where um, Otacon and Snake give each other um, – you know, their real names and stuff like that. And uh, I just always thought it was interesting that, you know, Snake said his real name was David right. when he was voiced David by uh, David Hayter at the time. Yeah. Cool Insane. stuff. Awesome. All right, Adam. Hey, man, what's your number two? Naughty Dog's third installment of this platforming franchise, Crash Bandicoot Warped. Oh, my God. I... I love Crash Bandicoot Warped. Uh, fun fact, this is the first game I ever got 100% completion in. Ever. Like, all secrets, all gems, all crystals, time trials completed, everything, the works. I loved how colorful this game was. I love how well it played. I think it was the most accessible Crash Bandicoot game because the first two were right. hard. They yeah. were hard games, man. Uh, after the events of Crash 2, it's revealed that Cortex answers to Uka Uka, another one of those like floating masks like Aku Aku who guides Crash. So their new scheme is to go back in time, get the power crystals needed for so they can have ultimate power, basically. So you're using a warp room to go through five different worlds with five levels each, with an additional boss at the end of each world. Um, you know, it plays like any basic platformer, with the exception of where you play as Coco, Crash's sister. This is the first game you get to play as her, where she was introduced in 
two. Um, but you get the players are in three. You get to um, ride a jet ski with her or ride a tiger across like the Great Wall of China, really. Um, there are also levels where Crash gets a, a motorcycle. Uh, he could ride a baby T-Rex and use a World War One fighter plane in one level as well. This game also introduced us to uh, power-ups. You didn't get power-ups in the Crash Bandicoots, but you did in this one. You know, Crash has a body slam move, his uh, tornado spin, so you can get powered-up versions of those. You can get a double jump ability. Um, you can get a bazooka that shoots out wampa fruits like the ones you collect throughout the game. Um, and then you get the Crash Dash, which... Um, I would advise don't do any of the time trials till you get the dash because that way you can just zip through them and get like the high score and get like both of the uh, get the relic and the sapphire uh, rewards uh, for them because you need to complete the time trials in order to unlock the secret levels in Crash Bandicoot and you want to unlock the secret levels. Because some of these secret levels are going to take you to inaccessible areas of previous levels you've been to. And that's how you're going to get the hidden gems in these levels. Most of the gems in Crash are collected by you have to get every box in each level. So while you get those, certain levels have a hidden gem in them. But it's only certain levels, not all of them. And that's where the secret levels come into. They might drop you in place of these inaccessible areas, which I thought was cool. And some of the stuff you kind of had to discover by accident. There's a secret level in um, one of the motorcycle levels you play with Crash, where um, in the road there's um, a street sign with an alien face on it. And if you hit the sign it instantly transports you to a different level where you play as Coco on the jet ski and you're um, like riding through like lava basically and stuff like that. It's, I was fascinated by this game. I loved the levels. You had bosses like tiny tiger, dingo dial and trophy and Jin makes his return. And, um, and then you fight Cortex at the end. Uh, Clancy Brown uh, reprises his role as Cortex's voice. I love Clancy Brown. Uh, for those people that don't know who he is, he was in Starship Troopers. Uh, he voiced Lex Luthor in the animated Superman cartoon in the 90s. He's just he's the dude. He was on Lost. He was on a couple of episodes of Lost, uh, I remember. Um, yeah, man. I... For me, this if I could credit a game that made me obsessed with collecting everything, uh, it was Crash Bandicoot Warped, yeah. <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. I, I loved it. Um, some of my favorite levels, man, Boneyard, getting chased by the giant Triceratops. Um, um, let me think here. Uh, Future Frenzy, you know, it's like the high-tech city you get to run through and stuff like that. Uh, Tomb Waiter. You're in like these Egyptian uh, tombs where like water rises and stuff like that. Oh, oh my God! Hang 'em high, hang 'em high is fun. Uh, you're in like the Middle East and you, uh, it, you know, you jump on like a. There's like a, 
blankets that are used as trampolines and stuff like that, and people are throwing knives at you from out the window. It's it's a very colorful and uh, a charming platformer, and uh, it still holds up uh, to this day. I think, yeah, I I love Crash Bandicoot. You know, that's the one that I it was again. It's another game that I remember when it was coming out, and I remember it being huge. And it was like the one that I always wanted to play and never just never did um, for whatever reason. But I remember it being the one that looked the coolest. I think because again, you could get you get you had to hop on vehicles, and I just thought that was so cool. Um. Right, like yeah, yeah. You, that's the Crash Warp is the one you get. It's not like Crash Team Racing, but there are vehicles, isn't? Isn't there an ATV in it? Well, yeah. So in in um in Crash Three, uh, like I said, so when you play as Coco, Crash's sister, you get a jet right. ski, and there's a level with her where um like uh, Oriental Express is a level where you're riding along the um the Great Wall of China, and she rides a a tiger. Uh, Crash will have three levels where he gets to use a motorcycle. motorcycle. That's he what has it to, was. You have to yeah. race. Um, and there's a level where he gets a World War One plane. Yes. It was the actually, motorcycle. You have to shoot down. Because that was like on the box down art. Isn't it? isn't it like him on a motorcycle on the box art? Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, it's him on a motorcycle, and it's Coco on the, the tiger. You see the dinosaur Crash gets to ride in the background as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's awesome. And... Uh, the motorcycle levels, it's like you you have to get in first place to beat those levels. Otherwise, you got to do it all over again. Uh, getting the boxes, you know, and also the real challenge of those levels is trying to get in first place and collect all the boxes while you're speeding down the raceway on a motorcycle. Like, it, it's, it doesn't sound as easy as it does. Like, the motorcycle is a very hard vehicle to handle in yeah. uh, Crash Bandicoot Warped. Yeah. Uh, Probably the hardest vehicle to handle to date in that game uh, alone, next to all the other options you get. But um, but I, I I love it. It's it's great, definitely. And the secret levels were just like... It was just so foreign to me, that concept of unlocking secret levels and for them being able to transport you to different areas you couldn't get to. There was something about it that just seemed so like, ooh should I be here? Like, is this right? Like that's, that's how it felt to me uh, as a kid. It was such a treat. And there's also um, underwater levels too. You get to play in as well, where you'd go scuba diving and stuff like that. So yeah, Crash Bandicoot 3. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Well, um, the time has come. The time has come. So, all right. So my number one game for the PlayStation one is also my single favorite RPG of all time. Um, if I were on a day, it's for me, it's a fine wine though, where it's like, it's not a game that I want to play very often because it's such a special experience that I only play it once every like five years. Um, but yes, I would put to me, this RPG I have above anything else, anything in the final fantasy series, Pokemon, Diablo, Skyrim, Oblivion. For me, it will always and forever be the legend of Dragoon. Ooh! Yes. Hands wow! Down my single. F- Didn't see that coming. Oh, yeah. Gotta say. Oh yeah. I've I've mentioned it um, in some early episodes of, of of the podcast, but the legend of Dragoon. Have you are you familiar with it? Have you played it? I never played it actually. To be okay. honest. Okay. 
But I know right. it though. I, yes, I do so know. Legend it. of Dragoon was basically sort of Sony's version at taking a stab at making. I mean, this the the term Final Fantasy Killer came out a lot uh, when after Final Fantasy VII. That was like the 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 the, the Final Fantasy Killer um, was 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 brought up was brought up a lot. Now, this game didn't necessarily kill Final Fantasy, but it is one of the sort of most I'd say unique. Um, games RPGs you'll ever play. Um, the story is set in the sort of you know sort of medieval I guess ish time, um, where you play as a handful of characters who basically go on to realize that they are dragoons, where um they are essentially sort of like dragon warriors. I guess um is is the way to do it. They are connected to dragons. They have these spirits which give them power. Um, and that's sort of like the main, I guess, kind of a theme. And dragons play a huge role in in the game and the over, and sort of the overall world. Um, your main character Dart uh, comes com- is coming back from a long journey where he was going to find the town that he grew up in. He comes back; it's, it, it was destroyed. When he comes back, his town, his, the town he lives in now, um, uh, Sail or Sales or Sellis, however you pronounce it, is um, is destroyed, and his sort of childhood friend slash sort of love interest um, is being captured. And there's some interesting sort of stuff going on with her. Uh, and she has a much, much bigger role uh, to go forward. Shayna is her name. Um, but anyway, along the way, he, she gets captured. She gets taken to this prison. You have to go track her down. Along the way, you're going to meet other characters, all of which every character in this game is fantastic. They all get very well fleshed out stories, um, specific boss battles that pertain to them. Um, some of the, best character balance i've ever seen in, in, in terms of storytelling in any rpg ever um it's a four disc game although the fourth disc is pretty much just sort of the final area and the boss uh but that's fine um a com- vastly underrated soundtrack uh if you think the if you think the cutscenes in final fantasy 9 are grand and epic well just wait till you play legend of dragoon they are amazing i mean this this game was pushing the playstation to its absolute like maximum uh in terms of like those in terms of those cutscenes and 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 just some of the other mechanics in the game um i would say that the biggest difference of this this game has compared to other games especially other rpgs is its battle system which i think is one of the most fun and engaging battle systems in any rpg i've ever played um so it has a system called the addition system so um in final fantasy 8 you kind of get a trigger move have you you played Final Fantasy VIII, Adam? Actually, okay. I haven't. So in Final Fantasy VIII, there's a trigger system where when you go to hit a person, you can kind of – I think it's the R1 button. And it's sort of – because, you know, like Squall has a gun blade, right? Um, and as you're sort of slashing down, you pull the trigger essentially, and it will do extra damage if you can time the hit right. Well, the entirety of Legend of Dragoon is sort of based on this, and you actually do combos in your turn-based battle system. Um, and they're called additions, and every character get ones except for Shayna and her replacement Miranda um, because they use a bow. But regardless, everybody else gets one, um, and so it just makes these awesome sort of cool, fun fighting styles that you get to do um, throughout the game. And all of the moves are a ton of fun to do, and they all sort of like shout the move when they're done with it, and that's just kind of fun. It makes it feel a little bit, I guess, in a way like a fighting game. Um, magic is done when you, when you transform into a dragoon, um, you get like this super armor, 
uh, and then that gives you like special attacks and magic you can do. But at the same time, you can no longer use items or heal. There are a few characters who can heal with their Dragoon magic. So that's kind of a risk-reward system there, uh, which is kind of fun. Um, you actually don't even really end up using healing potions all that much because you can uh, defend and you restore uh, like a tenth of your life. So it actually, one, makes managing items a lot less sort of important especially early on as is the case in a lot of rpgs and it makes defending more valuable and more worth it because you also heal um which i think goes a long way because the additions as you progress through the game they get longer and longer which can kind of speed up the battle time but they're still so much fun um it has a character cat character cast that i it's one it's a character cast that i could play through with any 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 group of characters and be fine with it um each character is tied to an element. There is fire, water, earth, wind, light, darkness, and then um, electricity, and then sort of like an un, um, just like an undefined element. Um, and with the exception of electric and and the sort of non-elemental, they all tie into each other. So if you are fire, you take less damage from fire characters, but you do more damage to water. So it's not like pokemon where it's like a paper rock scissors scissors system it's just sort of a direct you, the opposites will do more damage to the other person um even if it sort of doesn't make sense because water also encompasses ice or whatever so um that's kind of cool in how you build your team although you pretty much are always gonna have to have fire because you have dart the main character on your team um so you're two other characters since you get three um you'll end up sort of picking in an interesting way just either uh you know have balance against specific types. Um, so like fire against darkness does no different, you know, it's just sort of base damage. Um, so you don't really, if you have one or the other, you know, you can go that route, you can go with two. So like I typically play with the characters, Kongal, who is earth and, um, Albert, who is wind. Uh, and so they can do more damage to each other, but then at the same time, I'm kind of covered. So I don't really have to worry about light and dark damage as much, um, or electric, or oh, so it's really just like fire and water is where I'm sort is where I'm sort of at, and that sort of benefits you uh, in some ways and sort of hurts you sometimes because if you have, you know, like a light if you have a light character and you're fighting a light character you're like oh this is great because I'm not going to take as much damage so there's sort of that, um, but if you have the darkness character I can deal more damage but I'll also take more damage so you kind of have to it kind of causes you to really think strategically about your team uh, and and how you build it. Um, again, four discs. I think it's a great open world. It's not like Final Fantasy where you get to run around the overworld map. You're kind of on like a limited sort of like path uh, and you kind of just like run back and forth in, in that path. Um, like you have to run from point A to point B. You're on like a set a set path. Um, tons of great side characters, tons of stuff to do. There are a few mini games. Um, yeah. Leg the legend of dragoon the, the story just gets deeper and deeper and deeper it never feels like it's too overwhelming it actually feels paced incredibly well uh sadly it never got a sequel even though one was sort of in development although anyone who's ever played this game i think would argue that a prequel is actually what you would need without spoiling the story sometimes that's the case a uh, good prequel goes a long way uh i gotta say um a lot of RPGs, especially older uh, RPGs, um, had 
a lot of severe... I mean, even the first Pokemon um, is guilty of this. A lot of them had some really terrible uh, balancing mm-hmm. issues. Uh, but the the way uh, you went in depth and explained how this game works, uh, it, it sounds like the developers took great care in like being like, we need this to be just right. Like when we like put it out, that's what it sounds like uh, to me. So that that that's really cool. Uh, t- also, I have I have a very embarrassing uh, story. You know, especially someone that's played video games most of their life. I used to always get this confused with Panzer yeah, Dragoon. Yeah, that's okay. That's actually. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a totally different style game altogether. I, I just, I remember when I realized that I was like, oh my god. Originally, I was like, I can't let anybody know this. Oh my god. But now I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, you talking about it kind of just reminded me of it. So I'm like, eh, maybe I'll just get this off my chest, get the cat out of the bag, really. Um, no, but it sounds super, super in-depth and well thought out, though. Absolutely. Uh, it, it sounds enticing. I, I have not played this, uh, so I'm going to have to make it a point if I could find a copy for cheap. Yeah, you can also um, get it um, if you have, a if you have like, a PlayStation 3 or a PlayStation... Uh, well, a PlayStation 3, you can get it on their digital store for, like, six bucks. Um, yeah, and oh, then nice, you can port nice. it to a PSP. Uh, yeah, it was developed by Sony's Japan Studio. Um, which uh, that's the team that they, some of the things they developed. Uh, you know, you think about some of these great games like the Ark, the Lad series, Parappa the Rappa, Wild Arms. Um, I mean, they did uh, Ape Escape. They did. They have, oh, yeah, Ape Escape should be on my. I know. The, yeah, too, they did actually. Ape Escape, and then as you go forward, um, you know, they helped work on like Dark Cloud. They worked on um, Okage, the Shadow King uh dual hearts i mean you just keep you just keep going on and it's like oh man i mean these are the same people that you know have worked on um oh where is it at i just i just had it um they worked on rogue galaxy uh, some of their more white knight chronicles so the, a lot of stuff with like level five um they've worked on ico in the shadow Coloss- colossus i mean just you know huge huge massive massive games that they've worked on yeah, there's their resume yeah. right there. It speaks yeah, for itself. Shuhei, yeah, and Shuhei Yoshida is the um, was the producer uh, of it, and Shuhei Yoshida is like, I mean, he's like you know top like five guys for PlayStation. Um, I mean, he's you know he's he's been the producer over like Jack and Dexter, Twisted Metal, Black, ATV Off Road, Gran Turismo, Ape. I mean, he's 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 like a head head guy at Sony PlayStation. Yeah, like this that like that was a real like listening to like like I was trying to like retain as much information as possible because it's just that whole thing was like a real learning experience for me like right there like like to be mm-hmm. honest with you like I didn't realize any yeah. of that and it sold well it's so... it has a, it's a greatest hits it's a it's a it's a yeah it, it's a greatest hits for whatever reason they just never. They just never did a sequel. I think if I had to take a guess, um, it was just because it came out at the very end of the PlayStation 1's life, and they had already started moving on to the PlayStation 2. And I think 
just sort of, uh, I don't know. Just you had new new games were you know coming out and and people were going in different in different directions. Um, when it debuted in Japan, it was second. Uh, it was the second best selling game behind Pokemon Gold and Silver. Um, and so, damn. Yeah. I mean, it's big deal. Actually, I mean, it was a it was it did it did extremely well. They were actually planning. There's actually um, artwork. They were planning on bringing Dart into um, PlayStation All Stars Battle Royal. Remember the, their sort of Smash Brothers game for the PS3. Yeah, um, he was that. a planned DLC character, um, but the game just sort of didn't do as well, and so they just kind of scrapped some of the later DLC characters. But who knows? He could have brought him in, could have brought a thing, and we could have got it back. So, but nope. And now it just sort of PS One copies uh pretty pricey. I'm seeing. I have a, right I have now. two. I have a, I have a black copy and a green and a green copy of Legend of Dragoon. Oh damn! Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, this is crazy. I'm seeing like eighty dollars. I'm seeing $40. yeah. Just get it. Get it on the PlayStation Store. Yeah. Is what I would is is yeah. definitely is definitely what I would recommend to people. If you have a PlayStation Three, get it on the. And I don't know if they're. I would imagine at some point they'll probably add PlayStation One support um, to PlayStation Five, um, in like the same way they did with the the PlayStation Three. I was surprised the PS4 never got that actually. Um, yeah, seriously. Who knows? It's still possible, especially because it's just like you're just sitting on money. That you could just be collecting from all these games. Oh yeah, who knows? Hands down. So, all right, Adam. Hey, man, I'll toss it back to you. What is your number one game? Man, I got, I got to tell you, man, I can't emphasize how hard it was to make this list. But in the long run, I, I, I it was clear as day to me if any game was going to get number one on my list, it was this. So here we go. The first game that kicked off a huge franchise Spyro the Dragon I oh my god man just this game hits a real sweet spot for me um and it's and it's one I still go back and play often this is the second game I've ever gotten 100% completion in you know collected all the gems saved all the dragons got all the dragon eggs you name it like I done it um, I always thought the, the story about how this game came to be was kind of uh, interesting in the sense where it's like, this was Insomniac Games' second game. Uh, their first game was a game called Disruptor. It was like, you know, it was one of those Doom clone kind of games, and um, apparently it failed commercially. Um, but it it gained enough traction for Universal Interactive to like look at Insomniac and be like, "Hey, uh, you guys want to make another game?" And that's how they developed uh, Spyro. A um, lot of interesting the development choices. Uh, the guy that voiced Spyro um, is uh, I can never pronounce is his name right it's carlos alas the guy that voiced rocco oh gotcha. rocco's modern i think you're talking about but yeah I don't, yeah. But yeah 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 um one of my favorite things about this game is the music um it's so it just jives there's just something about it that's just so cool um and I'd find out as I got older that uh, the music was composed by uh, Stuart Copeland. And if anyone doesn't know who that is, 
uh, he was the drummer for the police, actually. You know, like Sting. Yeah. yeah. And every, like, yeah. Uh, um, I just always thought that was awesome. Like, he would play a level and he would make the music based off how he felt when he would play the level, uh, basically. Um, you obviously know the, the story of the first Spyro. Right, like you know, you got to save all the yeah, dragons yeah, 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 that yeah. were frozen. Yeah, by although Nasty I'll North. be honest with you, yeah, I yeah, really, I didn't, I didn't play Spyro. I didn't have it. I didn't, I, I didn't really play it at, at a friend's house. I mean, obviously, I know what it is, um, and you know what the what, the way it sort of sort of plays. Have you, have you, have you bought the newer version of it, the remastered version? No, but um, I would like to. Um, I mean, I have the original, and I have ripped those rage as well. It was just the second game. Uh, so I have those on the PS1, but I would I would like to get the Reignited Trilogy, just do a, a fun side by side comparison, really, because they say that it plays the same. It's just enhanced graphics. So I would really like to see if that is as true as they say it is. Right. Because um, again, this is another game where kind of like Resident Evil Two, like I know backwards and forwards, uh, with the exception of one level. Uh, there's one particular level that I think most fans of the series will know where I'm going with this when I mention it. It's a level called Treetops. So in this game, there's six worlds in this game. There's the Artisan's World, then there's Peacekeepers, Magic Crafters, Beast Makers, Dreamweavers, and then there's Nasty's World. In Magic in, in Beast Makers, there's a world called there's a level called Treetops. So in Spyro, if you're not collecting treasure and if you're not saving frozen dragons there are these guys that wear these colored robes they're called thieves you have blue thieves that have dragon eggs and then you have red thieves and green thieves and they either have keys or gems that are worth a lot of treasure and in the treetop level it's almost like an obstacle course basically you have these supercharged platforms you could run down that make you run faster and jump longer distances and stuff. And normally the thieves are very, very easy to, ca- to, to catch. But in this level, for some reason, their paths are so intricate and so tricky. Like You have to stay on them. To this day, it's the only level in the game that I still have to look at a guide, like a video guide, to map out the path I need to take to like get them to complete that level, because it's just so complicated. It's because they move so incredibly fast, but it's it's a great payoff though when you catch them. Uh, I love the level designs. I love uh, the music. Um, a lot of levels have like this uh, angelic feel. Um, you have to complete objectives to get to different the different worlds. Like in the first world, the artisan's world, you have to free ten dragons to get to the second world, um, which is peacekeepers. Uh, in peacekeepers, you have to get to magic crafters, and to do that, you have to collect a certain amount of treasure. Uh, basically, I forget what the other worlds are because it's been a while um, since I've played it. Um, but this is just one that I will, uh, 
I'll never ever get tired of. I remember as a kid, uh, this memory always stuck with me. I remember having like sitting down at the dinner table and no one could find my dad. And I remember at my parents' house going into the basement and finding my dad trying to play this game. My dad didn't really play video games, you know, but it was just so freaking funny watching him trying to control Spyro and all he kept doing was just running into the walls and stuff like that. I just I I don't I don't know why that always stuck with me. But but it did because I just he just didn't strike me as the type of guy to to pick it up and try to see what it was all about, but um it's it's the gameplay is solid in this game. It's very smooth, it's pretty flawless. Um it's not like other platform. I mean, it is a platformer, obviously, but it, it's it's not like other platforms in the sense that you could fly around too and stuff. Right. And yeah, it's um, and the levels aren't like super linear. Like you have room to run around and backtrack and stuff like that. And again, find secret areas as such. Yeah, man, I. I freaking lo- love this game like uh like no other, like anytime I pop that in it's kind of, I'm just like in awe by it and um yeah, yeah there's, there's just, just nothing the, the, I could say about it that has been I would, said already. I say I don't I don't find it surprising that you that you got into it and enjoyed it um if you also enjoyed Crash Bandicoot um because yeah, right. I didn't. I guess I didn't. I didn't really play a lot of sort of action platformers or just you know or three D platformers on the on the PS on on the PS one. Although there are a handful of great ones. Um, you know, you, we've talked before about Gex, right? Uh, um, yeah, sure. Gex and Enter the Gecko. The first one's more of like a two D platformer, but then the then then the right the, the one Ape Escapes one we just brought up. Um, because man, there are a lot of bad ones on the on the PS one. Oh yeah, there are a lot of the, yeah, 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 of, yeah. of bad ones, but the good ones are fun. The like Crash and you know the, I think I think Gex, um, Spyro the Dragon, like the ones that where the, where they're really good. Sort uh, they're really good, and it, and it kind of it kind of shows. I mean, you know the N sixty four same thing. Of you know it's sort of counterpart. Super Mario sixty four, freaking amazing. Um, Donkey Kong, ama- amazing. So it, it's also no doubt that there would be equally i think i think when people think of that generation i think they think more of the n64 as having the the bigger sort of action platformers but the playstation had plenty of great action platformers i mean crash is you know crash and and spyro are it can totally should can totally go toe to toe i think with just in terms of those games direct comparisons with like donkey kong and stuff like that i think because donkey kong and everything gets associated with the n64 and Nintendo and being a much bigger sort of franchise and rare develop them that I think people sort of overlook Crash and Spyro. Um, but really they were being developed at the same time, competitors to each other, and I think that they're I think they're they're just as good. Yeah, and the other thing to take into account too is I, I always find it interesting that um a lot of platformers on the PlayStation were really can they were really um, competing with each other. They were contending because um, obviously for Nintendo, the flagship uh, character was Mario. 
that was the top platformer. Where it's kind of hard to say, as far as platforming mascots go, it's a hard argument to say, was it Spyro, was it Crash for the PlayStation? Because both were so extremely popular and, and loved by uh by fans you know it's it's like so you really can't say so there's like this elusiveness to those playstation uh platformers not to mention the fact you know it's like you know you know you made you made the comment about you know it's like if i liked crash bandicoot of course i'm like spyro and it's like yeah and you know you said you really didn't get a chance to play those action platformers and again it just goes to show you because they're there was just so much going on on the PS1. That's that, and that's why it's just like uh, there was something for for everybody on on that system. So it's it's kind of just like everyone's going to be playing most likely something different for the most yeah. part. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Well, we're at like three and a half hours here. This is our this is Jesus our Christ. longest episode, oh but it's hard. It's it's just hard to do the top ten PlayStation One games and not have it not have it take so long because it's just so many memories. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So guys, hey, shoot me an email at Box Trick Gaming or at SuperGamesBros at Gmail dot com. Hit me up on Twitter at SuperGamesBros, um, and let me know what are some of your favorite PlayStation One games because I'd love I'd love to hear some of your stories on the PlayStation one on sort of what makes it so special uh, to you. Because for a lot of people, you know, I think Adam, for us, it was sort of like the first system that was kind of ours. I mean, we had like, I, again, I had yeah. a super Nintendo and a Sega Genesis growing up. Um, but the PlayStation was more so where I was like a little, just old enough to really kind of begin to really, really enjoy video games and not just like, Oh, video games are cool, but really sort of appreciate games and sort of like what made good games good as opposed to just, playing video games for for the sake of it um and the playstation one is still one of my favorite if not my my favorite system uh to collect for i just something about those polygonal graphics i don't know what it is i just love them um even 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 games that look bad i, I still love um so awesome 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 so adam where can people find you on the internet my friend uh, people could find me on instagram at that guy adam 12 i'm probably most active on there, I don't post a lot, but you know, I like interacting with people. Uh, every now and then, I'm on Twitter at uh, King of Fuzz Style. Uh, but yeah, that's where you can awesome. find me. All right, well, you can find me anywhere on the internet at Super Games Bro. So, Adam, thank you again, man, for coming on. This was a long one, but it was a great conversation. Yeah, man, thanks for having this, me as always. Absolutely, this might get, and get to talk about the PlayStation. Absolutely, one, this might course. get split up into two parts. Uh, so I might just because of the, the, the sheer length of it, but it was great. I enjoyed every, every single second of it. And who knows now, now we may have to come back and go to PlayStation two. Uh, and that could be a six, that could be a six oh, hour yeah. episode. Um, so who knows? We'll just, <laughs> we'll just roll with it. So anyway, guys, <laughs> uh, as always, thank you 